The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Matt Seidel, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Burial the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we're reviewing Night 1 of Fighting Spirit Unleashed, Night 1 and 2 of New Japan Road, answering your questions, and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or to keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology development to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SUPLEX at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code SUPLEX. Young boy, how you doing, man? Jeremy, we are at episode 140. Five. Do you know what that means? What does that mean? That means we are 11 episodes shy of our third year anniversary. And I got to tell you, never in my wildest dreams when we started up this little podcast, this little side venture, did I ever think we'd get to the point where we would be sitting here calling such incredible and illustrious shows as Fighting Spirit Unleashed Night One in the USA, as well as not one, but two nights of New <laughs> Japan Road. My God, look how far we've come, man! It's really, it's just really remarkable. It, it's been a, a long journey. Um, you know, we we've worked our way up to becoming the the longest running weekly episodic New Japan <laughs> Pro Wrestling podcast, and now we have the great honor to give the people what they want. Josh, they they want to hear our hot takes. Our opinions, our analysis, they want our star ratings. They want it all about Fighting Spirit Unleashed and New Japan Road. Nah, at the beginning of this year, people were like, you know, they're like, what do you guys want? You guys want, you know, Wrestle Dynasty in Madison Square Garden? You know, what do you guys want? You guys want Best Super Juniors? Nah, fuck that. Road, not once, but twice, three, four more times. Bam, bam, bam. Plus, we're going to give you Fighting Spirit Unleashed, headlined by, 
I mean, some real big bangers here. I mean, Hikaleo versus Brody King, Flip Gordon. I mean, come on. <laughs> New, Jap- <laughs> New, New Japan is on fire, bro. <laughs> So yeah, man, let's let's get into it. So we got we got some shows to talk about. I know I don't think we're probably gonna go super in depth here. We're not gonna give you know the blow for blow, move for move on on all these shows, but there are a little bit of talking points that we can kind of cover here, and then uh, we got a bunch of questions to go over as well. So this this is gonna be a show where I give you my gut takes. I'm not gonna break down these matches. I'm gonna say uh, it felt like two. <laughs> oh, that one that was. Uh, Three and a third. It's pretty good. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's start with uh, in a sequential order here. We'll start with uh, NJPW Strong Fighting Spirit Unleashed Night One, and of course, we watched is, this using. Is, is that sequential? Yes. I was pretty sure that the first night of Road happened before New Japan Strong. Am I wrong? No, Strong was Friday, then Road was Saturday and Sunday. All right, you're the boss. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and of course, we watched Strong using the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. So, Fighting Spirit Unleashed Night One opened up. We had returning Alex Zane. Teaming up with a debuting Fred Rosser to defeat the team of Clark Connors and the DKC. Man, when this match opened up, we got one of the greatest calls in New Japan history when, uh, um, <laughs> who's, uh, Alex Kozlov. Yeah, Alex Kozlov was like, he's like, man, Alex Zane in here with the Taco Bell representation. His hair looks like Baja Blast. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, I challenge you, you AEW, AEW and WWE fanboys and even you Impact stands and MLW and, you know, the likes of you. Where will you find such great color as what we got out of Alex Kozlov here? Because no, I, I, I defy you to find me another color guy that's going to give you that sort of insight as what he was able to provide on Alex Zantara. Just stupendous. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, Taco Bell references he mentioned <laughs> You know, his, uh, I think his kick pads or his tights being, you know, mild sauce uh, flavored, colored. The, one of the things is like, um, have you ever seen improv? Um, and in fact, like we improv all the time, you and I, we do it pretty, pretty well without even, you know, just naturally without even actually training in it. But there's this thing called yes and where it's like someone gives you a premise. It's kind of like ridiculous. They get, they lob up a little joke for you and then you bite on it and you take it further. But, like, when you go the opposite way, it's, like, it doesn't work. You know what I mean? Um, and here's an example. Kevin Kelly's like, yeah, in all your years with uh, Chaos, you're so, uh, you know, loyal to them and blah, 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 you know, uh, something like that. And then Alex's like, well, you know, actually, you can't go well, actually. You have to go yes and. And then instead of going yes and, he's like, well, actually, I might go with Bullet Club. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> it's like what are you talking about, bro? <laughs> it's just like it's like one of those weird pauses where like even Kev, even like Kevin Kelly, who's like a pro at this and like can carry the best of him, he was like, "Oh, wait, what?" <laughs> <laughs> this is weird, bro. 
So uh, what do you think about the big debut here for Mr. No Days Off? Fred Rosser, formerly known as Darren Young, one half of the primetime players, former member of Nexus. Um, I don't know, man. Um, actually, let's do this. Let's go to cage match real quick. I'm looking up Fred Rosser on the air. Let's look at his matches. He has had, according to cage match, his final match with uh, WWE was in 2017. Since then, excluding his appearance on New Japan Strong, so this is over the past 18, three years, this man has had 13 matches. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I mean, the most recognizable promotion that you would see here, uh, he had a uh, appearance uh, with a King of the Trios team, him, PJ Black, and Tyrone Evans uh, were in the King of Trios for Chikara back in 2018. Um, he had an appearance in a Battle Royal for WrestleCade. Uh, uh, the rest of these companies, I don't even know. WPW, More Wrestling, FEW, I mean, BTW. They kind of put it over on commentary. They're like, this man has been traveling the world. I was like, nah, he's been to... Uh, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, <laughs> um, Kentucky, North Carolina. Like that's not exactly the world. That's kind of sounds like the East coast, you know, indie league circuit and uh, pretty rare at that. So I don't know. I mean, the, the, the one thing I will say, he didn't look better or worse than when he was in WWE. He kind of looked exactly the same, uh, which he was never a bad wrestler by any means. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and bury the guy, uh, but there was nothing that really stood out to me. Um, I was able to kind of share with my girlfriend, who happens to be a lifelong WWE stan, and her favorite wrestler is, in fact, probably John Cena. Um, I was able to showcase to her that Fred Rosser and John Cena have the exact same facial structure entirely. <laughs> and when I said that, she was like, that's not true. And then I showed her some photos, and then she was like, oh, my God. And then I was like, watch this guy wrestle, watch his facials. And if you watch his facials, you will be like – that's him. That that is John Cena. That's the Doctor <laughs> of Thugonomics. Like it's kind of crazy. Um, but it was. I think the one glaring thing. I don't think Alex Zane and Fred Rosser. I wouldn't say they quote unquote didn't work well together because it was fine. It was a tag match, but uh, it like the stark contrast of styles when Alex Zane was in there versus Fred Rosser style. It was so completely different. I mean, you know, it wasn't even like the kind of dynamic you see in tag team wrestling where you have a power guy and then a, a fast guy. It wasn't like that. It was like having, I mean, exactly what it was. You had a institutionalized WWE style wrestler with literally a backyard evolved indie GCW guy, like in, in Alex Zane. I mean, they couldn't be any like more different from one another. Uh, and then just seeing them against DKC and Clark Connors, this was just, it was weird, bro. It was weird. You know, to me, it almost kind of felt like there were, like, two singles matches happening within a tag match. That's a great way to put it. That's kind of what I'm alluding to. Like there I was, didn't know. Yeah, like, there was no, like, symmetry. There was no really cohesiveness. It was like Fred Rosser got in here, did his thing, did his spots, tagging Alex Zane. Alex Zane came in, did his high spots. Clark Connors came in, did his, you know, his spots, tagged DKC, and DKC did his spots. And, yeah, it was, like, two little, like, singles matches in the middle of a tag match. And these guys, this team didn't, were really, like, flowing together. 
1973, there is a very famous tag team match. It's uh, Antonio Inoki and uh, Seiji, Seiki, or Seiji Sakaguchi against Luthez and Carl Gotch. It's actually on the network. Um, highly recommended match. But when the first time I watched it, it's like a 45-minute tag team match. It's really great. But the one thing I noticed was that at no point did anybody ever like break up a pinfall during this, during that match. And at no point was there any double team moves. It was literally like you would tag a guy, you would get out and the next guy would get in. It was like a singles match, which was kind of different. You know, I was like, is that how they wrestled in 73? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But then I was like, well, once I saw it, I was like, we'll never see this in new Japan again. And then I watched new Japan strong Friday night. And I was like, this is literally the same thing. It's like them having singles matches. There's no cohesive, you know, uh, tags, which is fine. Um, but we spent a lot of time, seven minutes, 37 seconds, Alexander and Fred Rosser pick up the win here. Um, I guess I'm not too surprised because Clark Connors on the other team and it's a young lion and, you know, DKC doesn't have, you know, the greatest track record in this company either. But, uh, I, I don't know how I feel about the, uh, Fred Rosser experiment. Like, I don't, I don't want to bury the guy. Like, I'm glad he's getting work, you know, mm-hmm. but this didn't feel like New Japan at all. Like, the only guy in this match that feels like New Japan is Clark Connors. Right. Alex Zane, is, Alex Zane doesn't feel like New Japan to me either. I'm just going to throw it out there. I mean, maybe, but not right now. I think it depends who, who he's in there with. He feels like an outsider that is being brought in to fight other juniors and maybe he could acclimate to the style like so i'm not like burying him but like right now he's 100 percent the modern he's not even like he doesn't even wrestle like say the way will osprey did three or four or five years ago you know or or ricochet when they bring outside high flyers they kind of felt different um he feels like he's cut from a whole different like kind of cloth and he kind of is because of his background and the way he came up through the ranks like it's very different than your traditional new Japan guy. So like he does not wrestle like new Japan to me. Fred Rosser does not DKC. He's pretty good, you know, but none of, I mean, it's not new Japan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, Zane, uh, Rosser, get the win there. Rosser hits the uh, gut check on DKC to get the win for the team. There Uh, question here from Reddit user Hawaiian punch BV with four members of the Nexus having competed on new Japan before. Who is the next member going to be in New Japan? I know everyone wants to see John Cena against Tanahashi, but I'd like to see Joe Henning get a shot on Strong if he's not retired. <laughs> and then a question uh, from Oscar Rooney. Who's the next Nexus member to be on Strong? So I'm trying to like remember who all has been in the Nexus that has gone there. Um, well, you got P- PJ Black. Mm-hmm. Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan and Fred Rosser, and I don't think any of those other guys were ever in New Japan that I know of. Yeah, trying to think who else. Uh... Ryback was never there. David Tonga was never there. Heath Slater was never there. Wade Barrett was never there. Was Michael Tarver there and we forgot about it or don't know? Uh, If he was, then I'm not knowing when he was. And, and just so everyone knows, I'm literally having to look at their photo to remember who all these guys were. Like, it's not <laughs> like I have a database of who was in the Nexus, but uh, yeah, that's fine. I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter. Um, oh, maybe. Well, he mentioned Joe Henning, so I guess he's also counting the new Nexus. Yeah, I guess so. So who's in the new Nexus? So, yeah, I know I know Henning was there, wasn't um Obviously, Barrett was... Well, Bill Barry was like leading the core, right? And Punk was leading the new Nexus. 
Yeah, and Punk has never been to New Japan, has he? Maybe. Has he? I don't think he has. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that, about Punk. I mean, Cage Match is our friend. I can go look. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, who was that one real big dude that looked like uh, Batista? Oh, that they had? Um, Mason Ryan. Yeah, Mason Ryan. I wonder he's, if he ever did. He's like the Welsh uh, Batista. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at um, I'm looking at Punk's whole career. There's no New Japan appearances at all. Uh, yeah, I thought maybe during the Ring of Honor years he might have. Yeah, so I, it doesn't matter. Uh, do I want to see any of those guys show up? Honestly, no. Yeah, I mean, none of those guys, majority of those guys are not blow away. I mean, obviously, I think Daniel Bryan would be cool, but obviously he's locked down, and I don't think we'll ever see Daniel Bryan back in uh, New Japan again. Um, I mean, I think Heath Slater is a possibility just because he's out there on the indies and he's active and working and everything. And who knows what's going to blossom out of his current deal with impact. Uh, there was a time where I wouldn't have necessarily been completely opposed to say Ryback. I'm not saying I'm like advocating for it, but I mean, you could do worse. I mean, you could have Tarver <laughs> <laughs> or Otunga. <laughs> um, I you know I gotta tell you I have always liked Wade Barrett though dude I dude I loved Wade Barrett I was really high on him um, I thought I was happy that he won the first season since they weren't going with Daniel Bryan thought he was great on promos uh, I thought he was good in the ring I thought he was a guy that could have been a future WWE champion but you know whatever reason decided not to go with him I don't want to see Michael McGillicuddy in New Japan though I'm just throwing it out there so May, uh, Wade Barrett's done so I mean there's if if I had to like give you an honest answer of a guy that's never been in New Japan that's from the Nexus that out of out of my choices that are left I'd have to actually say Ryback, mm. which I don't think I don't think that's a great choice either. So I kind of don't want any of these guys to show up. <laughs> yeah, they're they're pretty much all washed for the most part. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> all right. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's move on to the next matchup here. We had the Alpha Wolf, Carl Fredericks, getting a big win here over Mysterioso, six minutes and 47 seconds. Uh, this was fine. The one thing I noticed was uh, Carl Fredericks cut a promo prior to the match talking about how he's had you know a, a tough couple days, a couple episodes, and uh, he's looking to get back on track. He said he's going to beat the brakes off Mysterioso. So I'm like, oh, okay, he's going to come in here and, and wreck this guy. Bro, I don't know if you noticed, but I was keeping track. Like, mis- out of the six minutes and 47 seconds to this match, like, Mysterioso controlled, like, almost five minutes of the match. Literally. Like, Fredericks was just selling, 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 and then caught him at the end. That's the match. It was weird. Yeah, especially because, you know, he with this whole Alpha Wolf uh, gimmick, you know, he's being super cocky, super arrogant, and but he's still kind of coming out as a babyface as a structure of the match because he's the one that's getting the, getting a heat on him. He's the one having to sell, and he has to come back from underneath and, um, you know, get the win here. So it's kind of weird that he's, you know, kind of going more of a heelish, arrogant route, but then he's still structured to be the babyface in his matches. You know, I... I... I'm not the booker, so I I don't want to sit here and presume what they're trying to do because I don't really know. 
And I guess part of the problem is usually with New Japan, you can tell what they're doing. And here, I wasn't entirely sure. I My idea was that based on his promo and based on the way they have kind of built him, that you would think that he would take more of this match and kind of seem dominant. Um, but that wasn't really the case. Like, he was kind of in there. There was nothing wrong with the match. match was fine. Mysterioso was flying around, doing his stuff. He's pretty good for a big guy. Frederick's selling for him and feeding everything. And then uh, Frederick's caught him at the end and that, and that was it. But I, I feel like I would have just made Carl look a little stronger. He didn't look strong in winning. Right. But I will say, so, I think, I think well, this is probably one of the, the better performances of Mysterioso that I've seen. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. And I mean, um, both guys are good. So, I mean, it's fine. Uh, six minutes, not a lot of time to get too much done they packed a lot into the match i the booking was just i don't know what the booking is with this show to be honest with you um one one thing i will say i'm going to complain here in the next little bit about repetitive booking of road two shows and the road shows but one thing that is clear about gato's booking that's nice that's different from the strong show is like if you were to criticize Gato's booking and be like, hey, we're seeing the two, the same match too many times or a derivative of it, and that gets boring, well, at least you kind of know what the feud is all throughout the tour. You can very easily pinpoint to the feuds. Here in New Japan Strong, since it started, we're like four or five weeks in. I don't want to tear them down too much, but when you just kind of have stuff all over the place, like I don't really know what they're doing, Carl Fredericks. Like, he beat Mysterioso. Okay, cool. What was that for? What is his story? We kind of have to make a story up for him in our minds based on what we're perceiving. But that doesn't mean that that's the actual direction of the company, you know? Right. Yeah, I feel like a lot of stuff is being hot-shotted. Like, there's not, like, a lot of build. Like, we saw with Lions Break Collision. Like, there was, like, three, four weeks of build to kind of the blow-off of Cobb and Fredericks and some of the other stories they were telling there. Then here, I feel like it's kind of like a week-to-week kind of hot shot into angles. You know, there was like a, a small little kind of like skirmish between Fredericks and Mysterioso in that uh, multi-man, which led to this match. But, you know, there wasn't a ton of promos. There wasn't like a ton of build to really... But, Jeremy, get... the show was taped in advance. They shot everything on like the same night. So it's not even like hot shotting it week-to-week. It's just not enough forethought. Or if there is, I just can't see it yet, you know? Mm-hmm. Um one thing is, like, it, this is going to be a Western product to some degree. I do think that they should be – whoever's booking should maybe – I'm not saying trying to emulate what other people are doing necessarily, but one company that's really good at booking like this is AEW. You know, um, They have fresh matchups going all the time within the company, but they're still within – the confines of the stories that they're, that they're telling for the different competitors. They're not perfect at it. Nobody is, but they're kind of pulling off long-term storytelling and, and, you know, um, sort of like what Japan does, especially Gato, and then kind of mixing that in with Southern style, you know, storytelling, but doing it on a serialized week to week, Monday night show, or, you know, Wednesday night show. Uh, I think whoever's booking this should think a little bit more about that because, you know, I, I just don't know why the matches are happening or what the point of them is. And if that's happening, right, for instance, Carl Fredericks versus Mysterioso Jr., okay, fine. You know, there's no, no stakes behind it. Maybe build something before the match happens so we know why it's happening. Or if it is completely random, something post-match needs to happen or post-show or something 
to le- to feed into something else because nothing is feeding into nothing else. These just feel like exhibitions. Right. And that's not a good that's not what you want when it comes to a young upstart show like this. Right. I think yeah, as we've been saying before, definitely we need some more some more angles, some more promos, there needs to be some more heat on some of these big matches that they're trying to build, especially, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, Fighting Spirit Unleashed. It's supposed to be one of the bigger, you know, shows or, or matches of the tour, and it, it just feels like this week felt no different than last week for the most part. Like, think about this. If Carl Fredericks had gone out there and squashed this guy, boom, there is a clear definitive message. Fr- Carl Fredericks is pissed. He lost. He's trying to get back on, on top. And he came out and he fucked up Mysterioso Jr. There's a story. You don't even have to have an angle after it. That's going to feed into his momentum for the next week. That would actually do more for him than this good match did. Now, I was fine with the match. But if the story they're telling is, you know, like you mentioned, he's cocky. He's a young upstart. But he barely got by this guy. And, you know, then they need to follow up with something that tells us that that's the story they're telling, whether it's post-match promo or angle, just something. But when it's like this, when he just barely got by him and then there's no follow-up, I don't know what the point of that was. Yeah. And, and you know, um, wrestling is storytelling. They need to be telling the story. I don't know what the story was. You know, the action was fine, but what, where are we going with it? That, that It's hard for me to invest in this product when these just feel like a bunch of – Dojo exhibitions, especially since there's not a crowd. Right. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, where is Fredericks going from here? Where's Mysteriosa going from here? Like, what, you know, what you mentioned, like, what are they fighting for? Like, what's the follow up? So there's definitely a lot more story elements they can do. And obviously, we know that these episodes are strong, were already pre taped. Um, and so, obviously, whenever they do the next set of tapings, I definitely think they need to look more into, you know, how they're structuring these matches and stories. Now, we've got a couple matches here we're going to talk about that have some stories, which is great. And I know some people are probably listening and be like, well, they already have two other matches on the show uh, that have stories. So they can't – not every match has to have that. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. You know, It's absolutely true. But what about all the other weeks that they've had Carl Fredericks on the show and there's been nothing? You know, That's, that's my re- real big concern. It's like he is supposed to be a focal point of the show. We haven't really had much for him too much. So. All right. So, uh, third match of the night, we had Hikaleo defeating Brody King. And, of course, this came, we saw Hikaleo return a couple weeks ago, attacked uh, Brody King and Flip after they defeated Jay White and Chase Owens. So, Hikaleo kind of making his big kind of return after being on excursion on Rev Pro and then kind of making his presence renowned here and, you know, still with Bullet Club. I thought the commentary did a great job giving the backstory of Hikaleo. He's the baby brother of the Sons of Haku, but he's obviously the biggest, <laughs> maybe the baddest of the three brothers. And, um, you know, he's been on excursion in Rev Pro, like you mentioned. Now he's back and he's kind of graduated from his mini excursion. And um, they kind of played this off like it was a, a big monster match. And uh, the last time I kind of remember something like that happen- happening in New Japan was Lance Archer against uh, Balak Fale, I suppose. Um, surprisingly, I didn't like this match quite as much as I, I don't know if you remember, I really liked that Archer, uh, follow match from a while back from G1 or like back killer elite squad. 
Dude, it, no, it was a singles match. It was a tur- it was in a tournament. It was either New Japan Cup or the G One. I don't remember, mm. but it was but it was really good at the time. I think it probably was like New Japan Cup. I think Lance Archer probably won that and then went on to fight uh, Osprey. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, anyways, this match seven minutes thirty five seconds. Um, it was it was good. You know, um, I I really like Brody King. I've, I think we've always praised Hikaleo as someone who had a lot of, you know, tools, a lot of assets and a lot of promise. And he definitely looked better here than the last time I saw him, uh, which is a compliment. So, I mean, he's, you know, improved upon his work from, you know, the last time he was on New Japan proper. Uh, I wouldn't say the match is anything special, but it was it was a good Haas match. They Used a, they did a lot of brawling on the outside, which is something we haven't even really seen on this show just quite yet, which was kind of cool. Um, and then, you know, Hikaleo gets the big win at the end, um, clean, which was, I think, well, semi-clean. Obviously, there was the use of the uh, exposed turnbuckle to set mm, it up, but yeah. Hikaleo beats Brody King. Uh, something about... Uh, Haku sons, they've got Brody King's number. Like all we need is Tangaloa to come in here and fuck <laughs> this man up and uh, complete the hat trick. But um, yeah, Hikaleo beat him and you know got in his face and told him, "I'm not a young, you know, I'm not a young boy anymore." Um, I don't know if I love Hikaleo's finish, but I I, I wasn't opposed to the booking here. I thought it was well done. Yeah, I like the booking here. Kind of like we were saying with Carl Fredericks, they kind of did here. Like the story is. You know, Hikaleo, he's back from excursion. He's here to prove that he's not a young lion anymore. Yeah, he, he didn't squash Brody King, but he still went toe-to-toe with a guy like Brody King who's an established uh, independent star, established Ring of, Ring of Honor star, and the fact that he was, you know, able to beat him and, you know, be able to have that bragging rights kind of helps the elevation of him and proving that, you know, yes, I'm not a, a young boy anymore. Um, I like that he's using the old uh, G.O.D. theme because I, I like that theme as well. I love that theme. and I didn't even notice he was using it. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of good power moves here. Um, Brody King uh, spiked him with a jumping pile driver. That looked great. Um, that did. That looked awesome. Yeah. And I agree with you on Hikaleo's finish. Um, it's it looks like he's going for a, a rock bottom or a Uranagi, and then he just kind of like slips and falls backwards into a complete shot type of maneuver. It's just kind of weird looking. Yeah, it's just for a guy his size, I don't see the point in him taking the bump like that. You know, I don't think he should, personally speaking, I don't think he should leave his feet. Like, I don't know why he can't just jackknife a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Um, or do like a big big choke slam or something like that. He can do a choke slam. That's fine. Uh, it's a little overplayed, but I mean, how awesome is it when you see uh, Lance Archer hit that blackout? You know, and it's like when he hits the blackout, they're fucked up. Or when Fale hits the uh, Razor's Edge or the Balak Fall, like you know, that's it. Like I think he's big enough to where he should be dropping dudes, but uh, it's fine um, for now. I mean, he's got a long career ahead of him. I, if Hikaleo, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, I, I like this. It was fine. Well, and that takes us to the main one, event. One thing. You got Hikaleo fresh off of his excursion graduation, you would say. You got Carl Fredericks, who's also graduated. Two young studs on the show. Could we be seeing a collision course between the two of them down the road? I think we might be. 
I mean, I think that makes the most sense. You kind of build that. You have, yeah, the former, you know, graduate of the L.A. Dojo being the Alpha Wolf and trying to make claims that, you know, L.A. is his territory. And then the returning Hikaleo representing Bullet Club and obviously Bullet Club's, um, you know, they've kind of had their momentum going this summer. And so kind of. Well, you've got you've got um, Carl Fredericks kind of coming through the traditional way. And then you've got Hikaleo coming the non-traditional way and aligning himself with Bullet Club and everything. Uh, this is basically Tanahashi and Kenny Omega. I mean, just two completely divergent <laughs> philosophies. Um, and I think they can really draw money here, too. Yes, they, they can draw with that, with that empty arena. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think they should both mention, like, like Carl Frederick should mention, he's like, I'm just like Tanahashi. I'm representing my philosophy and then you know Hickley will be like nah bullet club way just like kenny (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then they should they should have a lot of like throwbacks to their wrestle kingdom match in the match like you know hickle or uh leo throwing v triggers carl frederick should try to come off of the uh the top rope through a table on the outside (laughs) and shit it's gonna be really good uh, Fredericks is doing uh, Dragon Screws the whole match to uh, yeah. Hikaleo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the uh, main event of the night, we had uh, the Switchblade. I also, I just want to say, I am really, I'm glad to see Jay White again, honestly, but I am sick and tired of hearing King Switch. Bro, King Switch sounds so stupid. <laughs> that is a horrible nickname. King Switch. Reminds me of when they were like calling uh, Finn Balor the the Demon King. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, here comes King Switch. <laughs> like, what? Like, is he the queen? Is he like the king of like the Nintendo Switch? Like, this what? That doesn't sound menacing, but the Switchblade does. So, right. I don't need. Uh, we it's got, one of those things. Like, why do you need a nickname on a nickname kind of thing? Yeah, you're gonna like. <sighs> that's like some P Diddy shit right there. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we have, uh, Jay White taking on the mercenary Flip Gordon heels versus heels. So we've been seeing a lot of that in wrestling lately, but, uh, um, what do you think of this match here, Jeremy? You know, I thought, I thought it was an all right match, you know, went 10 minutes, um, you know, Jay White kind of going back to, you know, Jay White strategy here, you know, powdering right at the beginning of the bell, uh, you know, trying to pretty much outsmarting flip and getting flipped to, uh, work his style of match here. Uh, using the the referee to also get advantage uh, of Flip Gordon, and then uh, the closing minutes uh, was a pretty good closing stretch there, and then uh, eventually uh, Jay White hits the the Blade Buster and the Blade Runner and gets the big win here. I thought this match was very good, um, for considering the show that it's on and considering the history of the show. I would actually go as far as to say I think that this is probably the best singles match that they've had on New Japan Strong so far. Quite possibly even the entire like, you know, uh North American show if you include uh the the, the like collision show. Um I'm not totally sure it's better than the the finale they did with um Fredericks and Cobb, but I think it's probably on the same level. Yeah. Um, I'd put it at three and a half, which is pretty good considering the show. Ten minutes, it's pretty good. One thing I noticed, and uh, I just want to throw it out there. 
Jay White was, like you mentioned, mentioning, he was doing a lot of his heel tactics. And we have seen all throughout the empty arena. We haven't really seen Jay White have a singles match since January, February. Since what was last? Wasn't wasn't that was the Bushi matches last singles? Probably. I don't think he had a singles match on the uh, New Beginning tour. Yeah, I don't think he did either. So it's been like literally nine months, and um, I think he's had the benefit of being able to at least see what other people have done in this uh, empty arena and you know post or you know COVID era. He was able to work a heel style without having that heel style actually be bogged down by the empty arena. And the whole time I was watching it, I was like, what is he doing that is different from any number of heels who don't quite seem to be able to get it? You know, how is he able? And you know what it was? And I I figured it out real quick. What? He has tailored his heel shenanigans. It's the same shenanigans, but the timing of it. He's tailored it to the home audience as opposed to pretending that there is a audience that is still there. He's not playing to an outside crowd. He's playing to the camera. Yeah. He's working. He's working the camera. He's working the camera, bro. Why the fuck couldn't any other heels figure this shit out? Why did it take nine months? I haven't really seen hardly anybody else figure this out. Like, and, and the other thing too is he wouldn't belabor his um, shenanigans, you know, like, so, and it's something he's done in the past and he's, he's definitely like guilty of it. Just like a lot of heels, you know, you, you do a heel tactic, it hits whatever. And then maybe he'll be laying on the the mat and he'll come up with that shit grin and he'll be laughing and he'll be looking around the audience, (laughs) you know, and he's really into it. And sometimes it's great. And sometimes it's just like, come on, bro. Like, you know, it depends on his reading of the audience, the timing and everything, but here he didn't do that here. He would look at the camera and he would give us a knowing wink and then he would get up real fast and go into his next move. There was no like delays. There was no him sitting there and really feeding into it until the match was over. Then he really, you know, sat in it. Um, so like, yeah, when the match first started, yes, he powdered, but the powder like barely lasted any time. Like this guy is really smart. Like I know he's not always, uh, everyone's cup of tea but like he's his wrestling iq is so fucking high bro yeah pretty much everything he was doing was used to set up the next move and like you mentioned everything fed into something else right like everything meant something you always hear that that saying you know people say you know make sure every move means something make make everything mean something well i think jay did a great job of that here in this match yeah just making every single anytime he cheated or it always led to like the next transition or the next kind of big kind of plan here there. And it's kind of, it worked with his whole character because his whole character is kind of, you know, being this mastermind and being able to manipulate and outsmart everybody. And it definitely came off that way in this match where he was just one step, ahead, always one step ahead of flip and was able to kind of manipulate him to kind of fall in his trap. That's the other thing too, is like what you mentioned is um, I know that we have complained in the past about, quote-unquote character work especially when it comes to different wrestlers and especially when it comes to him you know um depending on the scenario you know and i think there are times where he's misread the cues the booking and the agenting of the match has been all over the place i hated the match with him and naito at the tokyo dome actually i didn't like that or the kotobushi match personally i thought they were both pretty bullshit but um the one thing you can't really deny when it comes to jay white he fucking is his character. 
Now, I'm not saying he is in his everyday life. Obviously, it's a character, but like he's almost like a method actor that like he knows what his character is going to do, how he thinks, what his motivations are. And so when he comes in and he turns it on, he really turns it on. There's no part of me that ever thinks that he's not that switchblade character, you right. know? There's a lot of guys where like they're doing the the moves, they're doing the the heel tactics, but you just don't believe it for whatever reason. You know? And um that's not him. And I think that's one reason why it worked in this empty arena like scenario. He's the one guy that like I've actually like kind of believed in front of an empty arena like the only other person I can think like the one other guy that I kind of think of that is sort of like that in Japan when they were in a totally, totally empty arena is like Suzuki kind of reminds right. me of that way. Suzuki and Nagata. Yeah. Both of those guys. Um, yeah, it, it was just, it was, it was really great to see him back, uh, just outstanding quote unquote character work, but this is where character work, this is where you have to turn the character work up in order for it to work. And you need to know how to play to the right audience, which is the, the, the audience at home. And have the right timing. And his timing was super fast. It all fed into each other. It was really great. Um, yeah. And, I mean, and we're talking about him. Uh, obviously, Flip was really great too. But, like, the shining star here was uh, Jay White. Yeah, I felt this match was definitely all about putting Jay over. Um, uh, no, don't get me wrong. Flip did his part. Flip's a great athlete. Um, but the story of the match definitely seemed like, all right, we're trying to remind you about Jay White. Elevate Jay White and kind of get you Jay White in the forefront of your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that wraps up. I, I think that other heels in the company, <coughs> evil, um, they need to watch more of this guy. Instead of just trying to do what he does, learn why he does what he does so you can figure out why you're doing what you're doing. Right. Psychology. <laughs> also, I liked his uh, – one last thing. I really loved his promo at the end of the show. Because at the end of the show, he was like, he's like, you fans have so many questions. Who's Gato with? Is evil still in charge of the Bullet Club? What is it? Blah, blah, blah. Where are you going to be? Are you going to be in this tournament? What's happening? And he was like, the thing is, we're the Bullet Club and we owe you nothing. Right. He, he did the, uh, <laughs> the WWE heel promo. I don't owe you people anything. I don't owe you an explanation. <laughs> yeah, but the way he did it was great. And it's yeah. like, yeah, because all those questions are what we talk about every week on the show. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm not answering those questions. Yeah. So, yeah Pretty once, great. Once again, just played into his uh, persona there and yeah, just came off really well. Remember when uh, we went and interviewed him at uh, the G1 in Dallas and I was one of the few people that asked him a question that he actually liked. Yeah, he really liked your question. He's like, finally, an intelligent question. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I know a worker when I see one. I, I had to work a worker. Right. You know, that man was also in attendance at our uh, Suplex Mania party in New York uh, last year, WrestleMania weekend. Bro, me and Jay White, we peed right next to each other <laughs> in New York. It's magical. I'm glad you had that that uh, bonding experience there with the Switchblade. Bro, I barely remember that night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right, so we got some stuff for next week on this show? Yeah, so next week we have you know, the main event's going to be Jeff Cobb versus Kenta for the right to challenge the IWGP U.S. champion John Moxley. 
There's also going to be uh, Danny Limelight versus Rocky Romero. The whole story there is, you know, Rocky wants to be the coach for Danny Limelight, and uh, Danny thinks that he can do things on his own, do it his way. So they're going to have a little one-on-one match there. And then there's also going to be a tag match. It's going to be the Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatonga Tangaloa, taking on the team of PJ Black and David Finley. So obviously Juice still out uh, with the injury. Obviously these are all taped while he's still injured, and so PJ Black kind of stepping should, up here. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. PJ Black is stepping up here to uh, be the partner for Dave Finley. Juice needs to uh, change his music to the same beat as Kurt, Kurt Angle's music, but when he comes out, we'll be like Juice fucks, <laughs> Juice fucks. <laughs> That'll be his new theme. <laughs> I don't even know where to go from there. Um, um, one thing uh, I will say, I thought that this was by and large the best show that they've done of Strong so far. With that being said, it's still like a, I don't know, two and three quarter star show, maybe three. I, I can't even go quite three because I didn't even really think the show was good. Yeah, I mean, the, the main semi vein were definitely kind of like the highlights, really. Um, then everything else was just kind of there. I mean, these shows, I mean, it's a it's an hour long. The matches aren't aren't super. I mean, they're, they get like ten minutes max on the matches. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't it's, it's feel real, the way the Lions Break Collision show felt. It doesn't, but it's still easy watch though. Is, is it? Because it start. It feels a little bit like a chore to me. I, w- I want something more. But uh, the even with that, the show. Okay, I shouldn't say it wasn't good. It was good. It was good. It was fine. It was good little show. Um, but I didn't realize that this was the first night of quote unquote the fighting spirit unleashed. I thought we were still on the road to the fighting spirit <laughs> unleashed. No, there was a, there was like only I, one road to. I was thinking of it the the way that like NXT loads up those special shows every once in a while. Or, you know, Lucha Underground builds for a long time to a show and then you have nothing but matches that have meaning and feuds and, and payoffs to them, you know, and it feels like a little special. This didn't feel like that. I don't think, I think that this should have been like a road to, to continue to build to whatever the fighting spirit at least should be down the road. Um, which there's nothing wrong with that. I would actually give this show a little more credit if it was like, Oh, that was a good road to show. Right. But, but now I'm like, Oh, it was, that was it. That was the fighting spirit unleashed. Like it's not like the fighting spirit unleashed. I remember from back in the day. Right, and even when you look at night two, like the only match that's really been built is obviously Cobb and Kenta coming off what happened in New Japan Cup, and it's like, all right, this is night two. Not, not Danny Limelight and uh, Rocky Romero. They got a story, dude. There, there's a story, but it, it's not like it's been like this super long build. It's like it it's, is. <laughs> it go it goes all the way back to Collision. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, even with Fighting Spirit Unleashed uh, night two, it's like. I feel like that could have been more special, and it's like that's one of those things. Again, it's like, like we're saying, I felt I wish they would have had you know four weeks of road twos to tell more stories, you get more promos, Agreed. more angles, more multi man matches. There's enough guys Agreed. there where they could freshen up the multi mans, where it's not you know on a typical road two where it's like the same multi man every time. They could have freshened up some of the matches, like you mentioned a few weeks ago. You know, you do a tag, you do a six man, you can do an eight man. Um, and you can do all these stuff, and then you can do angles, you can do promos, you can have these interviews, 
and you build up weeks and then you get to the big hot matches and you have like four really hot matches that you do on night one and you blow all those stories off to set up uh, and then you can start new stories after that. Bro, Jeremy, I agree with you so hard right now. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, um, now last point. I like Fighting Spirit Unleashed in the New Japan Strong Show better than I've liked the New Japan Road shows, which we're about to talk to talk about. So yeah, before we talk about New Japan Road, we got to talk about our friends over at Manscaped and their Lawnmower 3.0. Manscaped engineering team has spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, and just released a new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Uh, this thing is incredible. It is not Road 2 quality. This is a Wrestle Kingdom quality razor. Yeah, this is their third generation trimmer. You might call it the uh, New Japan Dad version trimmer because it's the third generation. And it features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. And when I tell you it's premium, I mean it's simply the best. You know, the battery's going to last up to 90 minutes, so you can have a longer shave. The water resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower. And, you know, one of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas so you can get a closer and most precise trim. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. So, you know, if you're listening to me right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. And Jeremy, tell them how they can do that. Yeah, you can go to manscaped.com and use a promo code SUPLEX that will get you 20% off and free shipping off of anything you order from manscaped.com. Just use the code SUPLEX, 20% off and free shipping. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's shift gears here and talk about uh, the most two recent um, New Japan domestic shows, New Japan Road, night one on September 5th, and then night two on September 6th. Yep. So for these shows, for the undercards, you just kind of want to run through the results, and then we talk about the tournament, the tag tournament matches? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So on night one, we had Satoshi Kojima defeating Yota Suji. Then we had the chaos team of Okada, Sho, and Yano teaming up with Gabriel Kidd to defeat the chaos team of Goto, Ishii, Yoshihashi, and Yuyamura. Uh, also, they are building up for the Never Six Man title match that's coming up on September 11th with Okada, Sho, and Yano challenging Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi. Uh, we did have a question here from at Buckeye Tiffin on Twitter. What's going on with Okada? Seems like he's wrestling in slow motion. Uh, you know, it's an interesting question. I mean, before I answer that, I mean, Jeremy, is that your feelings? Does it feel like he's wrestling in slow motion? I don't know if he's wrestling. I don't know if slow motion. I don't think that. I don't know if slow motion is the right word for it, but I definitely feel like he's kind of mailing it in. Okay. Well, let me just say, when I hear someone say slow motion, I'm thinking that they're not as mobile. You know, or their timing is off. Um, I'm not thinking that they're having, you know, night off nights. You know, like we used to joke back in the day. You had T-shirt, you know, you had a uh, rainbow pants Kenny, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and you had T-shirt Naito, which you still do. You got hoodie Goto. You know, you got guys who, when they show up, you know, and it's a road to show, and it's six man, eight man, ten man. They just don't go all out. You know what I mean? Um, 
pretty regular occurrence for most wrestlers, um, which is what I think is happening here with Okada, uh, mainly because he's not in the main event. This is not really an important program. These are not even road two shows. These are road <laughs> <laughs> for the never open weight six man tag team titles. That's what the feud is building to like, uh, you know, keep in mind, this man's getting ready to go into the G1. And not only that, but he's literally since 2012, 13, been in the main event fighting, you know, once or twice a month for, for most months. And then, you know, G1's on top of it, like in the most grueling, long, ardent, you know, demanding uh, matches of anyone in the company. And so, yeah, he's getting older. He's taken a lot of lumps, a lot of miles on his body. Like, I don't, I don't think that's slowed him down. Like, when the time is called for Okada to go in there and have a great match with somebody, like, he can still do it. In fact, when he was having those matches during the um, New Japan Cup, he looked great. We criticized the matches based on the style of the matches, but not on the work that was being done. You know, right. uh, if those matches had taken place in front of a crowd, they probably would have been phenomenal. The problem was there was no audible on his part, but the, the matches were the same tone, pace and style as he ever wrestled previously. Um, so I don't think that he's like slowing down or in slow motion. I don't think there's anything wrong with him. I think that in the past when he was younger and he was able to, it didn't matter what kind of match he was in. He went, full hard all the fucking time. And now that he's getting older, I think he's starting to get a little smarter and wiser and maybe pulling back and letting other people do the work and maybe not trying as hard. And, you know, at this point he deserves to do that. He was the wrestler of a decade after all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when I hear slow motion, I I think of guys like, you know, Hanma, like who have, they don't wrestle like they used to, and they, they they can't really wrestle like they used to because of like an injury or they're aging. And with Okada, I just think it's kind of like what you mentioned. Like he's in the second match here on all these shows. Like it's a multi man. It's for the never six man titles, which are the you know the least prestigious titles in the whole promotion. Um, he's wrestling his stable mates. Like there's not a lot of incentive here for him to you know go all out it's not like his performances are bad like he's still good he's just not going all out he's not giving you a crazy finishing sequence he's not hitting you know 20 rainmakers or doing you know a bunch of cool drop kick spots but it, what he's he's just you know it's it's fine work for what in the position he's at right now you know who has slowed down who naito mm. you know who else has slowed down tanahashi Guys who have who are the next generation above Okada, and who have significant miles to their body, you know, guys like that. Um, I do wonder about Ishii all the time. I don't know how the fuck he's able to still like <laughs> go at the level he is. And I'm I'm just waiting. And I don't say this in a, in a derogatory way, but Father Time is undefeated, and at some point he's going to slow down. It hasn't happened yet, but I got a feeling we're not that far away from something like that potentially being the case. You know, um, a lot of people didn't like some of the things rich had to say on our show about 
New Japan kind of maybe passing their peak. And I don't know that that's the case. But when you look at their talent roster and you look how like they've got a lot of guys who are at the top who have been for a long time and who are slowing down and have gone through serious wars and whose stories have mostly been told. And you kind of look behind it and see, you know, are do they have guys ready in play to, to move into their spots? Not from an athletic standpoint or an age standpoint, but from like a booking standpoint have they positioned them have they gotten them ready have they given them the right booking to take the mantle and i don't know that that's the case but um i don't think you have to worry about okada just yet like sure during a six man against yoshihashi and those and goto and you know ishii if he doesn't go his hardest it's fine but keep in mind last month he was in a tag match that he literally fucking made it was like a four-star match almost, and it was for the never six-man openweight tag team <laughs> titles. Like, Okada can still go. Just because he's been surrounded by Yujiro, Gato, and Jado, that's not his – I mean, maybe it is a little bit his fault. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that's going to bring anyone down. I don't care who they are. Right. Um, and, and, clearly, yeah. and clearly G1, a couple weeks away, That that's the main focus there. Like, why – like, if, I, if I'm him, I'm the same thing. I'm not going to go out there and try and kill myself with the G1s right around the corner. And it's people are going to be expecting him, regardless of what block he's in, who's in his block, to have some of the better matches um, in, the, in the whole tournament. Bro, nobody can go their hardest all the time for their entire career. There comes a point where you have to conserve your time and energy. And smart wrestlers do that, especially when the match is less important. Right. <laughs> and let's not pretend all matches are the same importance. They're not. And, uh, I'm I'm fine with it. I don't think I don't think he's lost a step at all. I think he's literally firmly in his prime right now. Yeah, 100% agree with you. Um, next match we had the Golden Aces teaming with Hanma and Nagata against the Suzuki Goon team of Doki, Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, and Zack Saber Jr. Uh, Doki has a new pipe. It's not so bent up, which is nice. I don't know uh, which. Uh, Suzuki Goon member bought that for him. That was nice of them. I'm gonna, and, I'm, gonna um, I'm gonna guess Tai Chi. I feel like Tai Chi's a very caring guy. Him and Tai Chi have have heat though. Oh yeah, that's right. They do. So yeah, yeah. So actually, if 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 it was, it was probably Desperado. They seem to be boys. That's right. Yes, yeah, so they got the whole lucha connection there. Um, but yeah, um, Golden Aces beat them. Any, I mean, this is basically. I actually don't know. Here's the thing, and uh, this is an important part. I don't know if too much of these, uh, the rest of these matches are building to anything. I think they're really just playing off of what has already happened, which is a problem with this road series because we've got Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi going up against the uh, Dangerous Techers, but they've already said Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi aren't going for the tag titles again. And with the... Uh, G1 coming up, I believe that to actually be the case, at least for now. So why are we still having them come out to their mashed up, you know, um, tag theme? And why are we still getting the jaw jacking and, and posturing between these two teams? It's just it, weird. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, all right, we ha- we're in the middle of we just finished a tour like the Summer Struggles tour. G1's coming up and we have these sh- shows. So we're not going to do a bunch of like new 
programs because G1's coming up, so we're just going to kind of stick with what we've been doing. However, I do think the one good thing, though, with them kind of keeping the matched-up music and teaming together, it kind of gets you in that mind frame of, like, things are fine. With the For goal. now, yeah. Yeah, things are, you know, they're, they're still buddies, they're still chaps, they're still, still teaming together, and then G1's going to come, and I, either they're going to be in the same block or... They're going to be in opposite blocks and kind of like compete, you know, competing with each other to see who gets the most points. And something's going to happen where it, I don't think they're going to be as friendly after G1's over. One other thing, we got Suzuki in there as the Never Champion, and um, you know, not that we would be setting up a Never Title run because again, G1's coming. But him and Nagata have had heat, and they're kind of in the match against one another. They're going back and forth, but Nagata can't even be in the G1 because he's done with G1s. So he's, he can't really challenge for the title right now, and he can't be in the G1. So I would be more inclined, if you want my honest opinion, do your little mini tour between now and G1, but maybe give us some fresh mashups. They don't even have to matter. Do a mini feud. Just give us a – but don't continue the feuds that you blew off at Summer Struggle, you know, because we already saw the, the, the blow off, and now there's no reason for me to see this again. But they're making me, and that's why I'm less invested and almost spiteful that I'm even watching this, to be honest with you. Mm. Yeah. Um, next match, we had LIJ, teams of Sonata, Shingo, and uh, Tetsuya Naito taking on the Bullet Club, team of Evil, Yujiro, and um, Jado. Um, LIJ team wins 11 minutes, 3 seconds. Same comments I made before, wash, wash uh, rinse, and repeat. Why are we seeing this if they already moved on from it? Right, and why why am I seeing Jado wrestle in a match? <laughs> Man. Well, I we kind of have to because they don't have enough Bullet Club members. So, you know, and they need it. I, I kind of get why they're doing it. Um, but I don't need to see. Now, here's the one thing. Evil and Naito probably are going to end up in the same block. So there is that concept. And there will probably be a, a, a hat trick match between the two of them. I wouldn't even be surprised based on their uh, history if it's not even either, say, night one or the final night of their block. Mm. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah, you could have those guys could be the block I'd finals. I'd put money on night one. Right, because you know, normally night one is that kind of like big, like main event, marquee kind of main event that they've done on previous shows. And so obviously with... That'd be the big match at Jingu and did it at Dominion. Like that could be like the, the trilogy and kind of like a big like opening night kind of thing here. It's just that's what Gato does. <laughs> um, next match we had uh, the tag team tournament. Do you want to run through the undercard of uh, night two real quick as well? And then talk about all four tournament matches. Yeah, we together. just talk about the tournament matches after that. Yep. So on the next night we opened up the head. Um, Yuji Nagata defeating Yu Yamura, which is a really great uh, opening matchup there with uh, Nagata and Yamura. Then we had uh, the Chaos team once again of Goto, Ishii, Yoshihashi, and Gabriel Kidd uh, defeating the team of Okada, Sho, Yano, and Yota Suji. Now, interesting thing about this matchup here, there was um, yes. a, this this one got a little bit heated. So yeah. th- throughout the match, there's definitely a lot of interactions with um, Ishii and Sho. And these guys look like they're going to be um, getting into a feud. 
Um, and then post-match, they were brawling, which then, like, led Okada and everybody else kind of brawling towards the end there and kind of had to get separated. So things were getting heated here. Yeah, and it kind of I, – I forgot for a moment that they're all chaos. And then when it was happening, I was like, wait a second. These dudes are all chaos. They travel and eat together. This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is awkward. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, again, show Ishii Junior Feud. I love it. It's great. <laughs> Um, but no, I'm really I would love to see Ishii and Sho go at it once again. Um, I think those are two guys who are both in that never category and maybe potential challengers down the road for uh, Suzuki. Um, they both, you know, had run-ins with um, Shingo during his uh, past title run. Obviously, we don't know anything about title matches until after G1, so I'm not saying that that's the case. But I mean. I probably think that based on what we're seeing, I wouldn't be too surprised if Sho and Ishii end up in the same block and, you know, having a little bit of a payoff to the teasing that we're getting this moment. Um, And maybe down the road that could lead to something for one of them, you know, post G1. I don't know. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Also, we had Gabriel Kidd kind of getting into the post-match skirmish here and – he got his ass kicked. Yeah, he did. Like, Ishii, like, swatted him away. <laughs> he was like, what are you doing, young boy? Like, get out of here. <laughs> um, I, uh, that sounds like something you ask me every week. What are you doing, young boy? <laughs> we got a question from uh, Highest Fly Flow. He said, how come atomic drops aren't low blows? I'm watching the Road 2 show now, and Goto definitely isn't having more kids thanks to Yano. Also, what are your thoughts on this three-way r- rivalry between Gabe, Yuyamura, and Suji? They seem much more aggressive with each other than any other batch. And I'm guessing he means batch of young lines. Yeah. Well, young boy, you are now in the process of becoming a worker. So please break down the psychology on why the atomic drop is not a low blow. Because you're not attacking anyone's nads with with an atomic drop. Now, let's be clear here. Specifically, an atomic drop is when you have your right arm or left arm, but traditionally you have your right arm around the, you're behind an opponent. You have your right arm around the waist of their, of the, around their waist. You know, um, you kind of have it in a seatbelt position to the front. And then with your left arm, you're lifting their thigh in the air. So they're up on your shoulder. And then when you bring them down with force, you bring them down on their tailbone along your knee slash thigh area. You're trying to drive your knee into their tailbone. This was famously a finishing move of the great Bob Backlund. So um, So I don't see how that could possibly be a low blow. So what about an inverted atomic drop? That is a question that I have. (laughs) (laughs) Because I have have gone to my trainers and I've been in class and I've been like, oh, guys, so let me ask you – What's the kayfabe reason that the inverted atomic – and maybe he meant the inverted atomic drop. Maybe, yeah. Because the, in, the inverted atomic drop is where you you go down, you lower yourself like you're going into a uh, double leg position. You grab the person behind both either thighs or preferably behind the knees. You lift them up in a straight-up motion and then you bring them down. From what I've been told, the kayfabe reason that this is not a low blow is because hypothetically you are attacking with the knee, not the thigh, and the knee is also attacking, quote unquote, the tailbone Mm. because it's an inverted atomic drop. It never looks that way. What it looks like to me is it looks like you're crotching a guy on his balls just like if they were to get 
you know. Essentially, it's like you're dropping their balls on your knee. You're like, (laughs) yeah, I I don't know. I I think I I don't think there's a lot of people who have good inverted atomic drops that. And then the other problem is the cell. So many guys take the inverted atomic drop, grab their crotch, bring their knees together, and jump up and down like they just got dropped on their balls. And then the referee looks like an idiot and, and turns a blind eye to it. So that's one of those things where, like, if I was a wrestling like Booker. I wouldn't tell people how to wrestle, but I'd be like, yo, don't sell that shit that way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Then on to the second part of his question, talking about the feud between uh, Gabriel Kidd, Yamura, and Suji. Uh, I mean, I'm loving it. I love when the young lions have feuds and uh, have stories going on. And we've seen this in the past with some other young lion classes since we've been doing this show. And, you know, obviously kind of like what we're seeing in the L.A. dojo, you know, these guys are trying to establish dom- dominance and prove who's the top of the class. You know, um, Suji is the right now labeled as the, the head of the class in the of the New Japan dojo. And so he's trying to, you know, hold his spot as like you know the, the captain there. And then you have Gabriel Kidd, who's actually, you know, still representing the L.A. dojo. And so he's trying to prove, you know, what he learned in the L.A. dojo is better what's learned in the New Japan dojo. So you got that whole twist there. And then Yumura is trying to, to outclass Suji and then also trying to stand up for New Japan dojo against Gabriel Kidd. So it's some great stuff here. Yeah, you've done a great job kind of encapsulating the motivations between the three and why they seem to be beefing. The other thing is they're the only three young lions left in Japan. So that's part of it. It's out of, born out of necessity. And that also kind of creates a vacuum because they're the only three that are there. There's limited opportunities. It has created a lot of chances for the three of them to do quite a bit that they normally wouldn't have, you know, just given the current climate that they're in. Um, but one other thing is like, you know, Suji and Yumura are like, they showed up in New Japan on the same night. They debuted against each other. They've had the most career matches against one another. Um, far outweighing, you know, most other young lines that they faced off against. So um, Gabe is kind of just thrown in there, like you mentioned, from from the L.A. perspective. But that's kind of just a little caveat or wrinkle in the ongoing Yumura Suji feud that has literally been transpiring for like two years now. Right. Um, but I'll tell you this: I don't. I wouldn't say that this is the most aggressive or heated. Young Lion batch or feud that I've seen. I can't say that it's any more or less because since we've been covering New Japan, the, the Lions, no matter what generation it's been, they've just been literally superheated, just fucking each other up all the time. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'd go that far, but I love I love what we're seeing. So, yeah, I like it a lot. So, moving on, we had uh, Sugun, Doki, Minozuki, Taichi, Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Golden Aces and Tenkoji. Then we had kind of the same thing we saw we said previously. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Lij Sanada Shingo and Naito defeated Bullet Club of Evil Jado and Yujiro. Um, eight minutes forty eight seconds. Once again, pretty very similar to the match on the previous night. Yeah, I think it's interesting that we're seeing um, Evil's pin eaters take the falls. Obviously, Sanada Shingo and Naito are like a super team, so they're th- those guys are not taking any falls unless you're really trying to set something up, but very often in New Japan. Yeah, and... Y- you will... Or, I'm sorry, what? No, no go ahead. I was going to say, very often in New Japan, you will see where someone who is getting ready to get a big win who's already been established like an evil, they'll send them down a little bit of a losing streak, you know? 
Uh, he's obviously not taking the pinfalls, but his team is losing. And if it turns out that we're going to get a rematch between him and Naito in the in the G1, him taking these losses now to sh- to basically showcase the strength of Naito makes a lot of sense. If in fact Evil is going to beat him in the G1 on like the early nights, which I think is a high likelihood, honestly. Right, and that could set up a you know a fall title match between those guys before Wrestle Kingdom. Plus, last point, a lot of those guys, Sonata Shingo, Naito, they're all going to be in the G1. I can't say the same thing about Jado, and I don't know for sure about Ujiro. So, you know, right now, some of these guys like, you know, Sonata and Shingo getting pinfall wins and submission wins and stuff, that's also heating them up for the G1. So it kind of makes sense as well. Yeah, one thing I want to note, too, is I, I think that Shingo and Sonata work really well together. I know on they the do. Sh- I know on the show we've always talked about how Lij as a unit are very cohesive, and no matter whether it's you know attack six man, ten man, whatever it is, they usually all work really well together. But I just felt also you know Shingo being the most recent member, not being there as long, I feel like him and Sonata have really great chemistry, and just we're pulling off some really cool um, double team maneuvers in both uh, well- matches here. Chemistry is very important, but also you got to take into account where did where did Shingo come from? Dragon Gate, bro. Dragon Gate has the best tag team, like high speed, fast paced, you know, natural instinct tag team wrestling in the world. Like they just do. And um, I can't think of anyone that's ever like come to New Japan from Dragon Gate that wasn't a fantastic tag team wrestler, and he spent his whole career there. So I'm not surprised whatsoever. Um, we had a question here from Reddit user uh, Natus underscore EST underscore N underscore SUHT. What are the odds we'll have separate IWGP heavyweight and intercontinental champions by the end of October? At some point, NJPW will need to split up the belt and develop a storyline headed into the road to Wrestle Kingdom. I think you're making some bold assumptions there. Um, you know, A, that they ever have to split these titles up. They don't. <laughs> uh, that it has to happen by October. It doesn't. Um, and, you know, I think you're right. There will be a story he- heading into Wrestle Kingdom. My opinion, personally, it's too late for that now. There's not enough time, no matter what you want to do. I mean, Naito talked in a press conference about wanting to defend the two belts separately. I could see that happening. But Naito's not dropping either of those belts before Wrestle Kingdom at this point. You know, we're what what month we're in September? Yeah. We got a G one that's gonna last through October. At best, we've got maybe another major show in October, but most likely we've probably got one major show in November to take us to Wrestle Kingdom and then that's it, you know? Um Maybe a second one in December, depending on the calendar. He ain't dropping a belt. He's not taking a pinfall loss to anybody between now and January. It's not happening. So, no, they're not going to be splitting those belts up. I don't even know. You know, if, if, if you don't want this guy taking pinfall losses, I mean, you could make him look really strong by booking him in two separate title matches and having him successfully defend both. But it might just make more sense long-term for him to uh, continue to defend both belts. 
And maybe they should just merge the two shits at this point. I didn't yeah. want them to, but they yeah. might just need to. Yeah, I was going to ask you, at this point, do you think it should just become IWGP Double Crown, or do you think down the line they should still separate them? I always thought they should have separated them. The only way that they can separate them that makes sense to me is what I to where he saves face is what I recommended in January that he says, Hey, I had a long run with this, uh, this white belt. It served its purpose. I was happy to defend it. I'm glad to have had it, but at this point I've outgrown it and I'm going to vacate it. You know, Mm -hmm. if he were to vacate it at this point, after having had many successful defenses, regaining it, what more does he have to prove there? Uh, it might make more sense for the company for him to just vacate it. Maybe they can have, hey, guess what? After the G1's over, we're going to have an IC title tournament. Maybe they could even do that in December leading into Wrestle Kingdom. They can crown a new champion at Wrestle Kingdom. I, I don't know if they'll do that, but that's the only way they're splitting these titles up. But if it comes to him losing one of the belts, not happening. Yeah, and they could easily do a thing where, like you mentioned, yeah, he vacates it, and it's just like, yeah, yeah, you know, this, uh, this is a kind of where he gets frustrated, maybe, you know, because he's been calling for IWGP, IWGP to make a decision here. Maybe he just goes, you know what, IWGP won't listen to me. I want to defend both separately. They keep making me both defend it both at one time. So if they're not going to play ball with me, I'm dropping the IC title, and I will just defend the heavyweight title solo. Hey, I think that's a great little skeleton outline of a promo that you laid out there and I'm not opposed to it. But one thing to keep in mind with this type of booking, where were they unified? Wrestle Kingdom last year. They kind of like to do round numbers and because they've kept these titles together all year, and I don't know if it, they were planning on it, but after everything that happened with the shutdown and COVID, it's, you know, that this is where we're at. They might keep them together until at least Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, I mean, just I, because just because that's where they got unified, right? And I can see them doing that too. But yeah, they're definitely uh, like like I was saying, there needs to be there needs to be some clarification, some kind of game plan going forward with these titles. In the meantime, Suzuki's the number two champion in all the company, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> Long live the king! All right, so uh, let's talk about this round robin tournament. Um, we had two matches on the first night. Uh, and then two matches on the second night. Yep. So on the first night, we had Master Watto and Risuke Taguchi defeating former IWGP Junior Tag Team Champions El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Very surprised by this. Um, you know, when you look at it on paper, it wouldn't really be su- too surprising if Watto and Taguchi did wind up taking this tournament. Um and, and I don't know where the tournament – I don't know who's winning the tournament personally. Like, you know, it, it's really hard for me to say. But um, Desperado and Kanemaru had to be considered favorites uh, considering their long history with those titles. And the fact that they're literally the only established tag team – or at least the most established tag team in the tournament. And uh, the fact that they took a loss night one to Wato and Taguchi was to me a little surprising. Yeah, it was it, it was surprising at one point, but you know I think they definitely need to kind of get some comeuppance for Watto after suffering that big loss at Summer Struggle and Jingu against Kanemaru, so he kind of got some revenge here 
and was able to, uh, you know, defeat Kanemaru and Desperado. You know, he's been kind of feuding with Suzuki Goon since he's arrived. And so being able to get a little revenge on those guys and um, being able to hold that over their heads going into this tournament. Yeah, I guess that makes sense uh, when you brought that up. The fact that he just recently lost to Kanemaru at Summer Struggle. Maybe that does kind of make sense, but um, I don't know. I, I kind of... Again, I went into a mode where I was like, okay, Summer Struggle was the end of an arc. That arc is over. We're moving on. And instead, it kind of seems like this is a little teeny tiny extension of Summer Struggle. <laughs> like, they don't want to admit it, but, like, this is basically Summer summer Struggle Part 2. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was good to see uh, Wato and um, Taguchi kind of get the big win here. 13 minutes, 26 seconds. I didn't think the match was great, but... You know, they got two two points on the board, so. Yeah, it was a good little match. I, re- I think Taguchi and Wato are working really well together. I like their uh, finishing uh, double combo there. They do a Dodon into the RRP, which is, uh, or RPP, which is uh, Wato's uh, spiral tap maneuver. So, nice little combo there, and they're working well. One thing, too, you got to consider, um, four teams in this tournament, basically, the ma- if, if, if a team went undefeated, they're getting six points. There's only three matches for each team to establish their point total. So every match is because of the limited number is super crucial here. So a night one loss to Desperado and Kanemaru is super demoralizing. Um, I mean, the best they could do at this point is four. Mm-hmm. And we've seen in the past when they do single block tournaments like this, uh, you know, tie situations, things of that nature. So it's kind of interesting to see how this is going to play out. But, um, I'm thinking – well, we'll continue. Uh, we'll, we'll give our predictions, I guess, at the end of this. Okay. So um, after that, we had the main event of that night was LIJ's Bushi and Hiromu defeating the Bullet Club team of Gato and Taiji Ishimori. 20 minutes, 54 seconds. Um, you know, Ishimori looked good. Hiromu looked good. Bushi looked good. But then you got Gato. And um, I do think that brings the match down quite a bit. There's a lot of heel shenanigans here, um, a lot of working over Hiromu's injured shoulder. Again, this was kind of an ex- uh, an extension of the Hiromu Taiji Ishimori feud leading out of Summer Struggle. But um, you know, Bushi and Hiromu also have to kind of—they're the other team that is long tenured as a junior tag team. Uh, you know, that's running this uh, division before, so uh, not surprised they picked up the win here. Um, I do like that Bushi is kind of coming out with the dual-sided mask where it's like the amalgamation of both his mask as well as Kamatachi, which is Hiromu's uh, excursion, you know, uh, luchador name. So kind of think that's cool. Yeah, then they also have given them – they've mashed up their music as well. So now they have a, a mashed-up uh, team intro. So looks like they're kind of investing a little bit more, you know, pushing these guys as a, as a team. Bro, they got to. There's no junior tag teams. Unless, like, Tiger Mask comes back with, like... That's one thing you got to think about with this tournament. These are the only four teams they could, like, literally muster. And they're all fighting each other right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what feud... Okay, whoever wins it. Let's say it ends up being Gato and Taiji. Just for argument's sake. Okay, they win it. They fought all the other teams. And then they fought another one of those teams a second time in a final. Who the fuck do you want to see him fight out of this tournament? You already saw it multiple times. Like, they need a new team to show up at the end of this. Yeah, they do. I don't know who that is. I don't know if they have, you know, if you bring, like, 
Umino and somebody back, or you you bring in somebody from a different promotion or something like that. I don't know. Liger is going to come out of retirement and team with Tiger Mask and win this <laughs> shit. <laughs> um, I, I didn't love this match. Did you have any big thoughts here? Anything you liked? I, mean, I actually, I actually really liked this match. I thought it was a pretty good match. Um, yes, Gato was in there, but I felt like Bushi, Hiromu, and Taiji all were working really hard. And I think this is just another case for Hiromu as a candidate for wrestler of the year. I feel like in every match, and especially when he's in the main events, he just goes above and beyond to work really hard and to, you know, get fired up and, get you know, put some life into the matches. And I thought he did a really great job here. And uh, I thought this was a good main event. I went about three and a half stars on this. And uh, I saw the yeah, LIJ team work really hard. And so Taiji, I think Taiji has been looking really good this year. You know, he was, you know, he had the injuries, you know, last year in Best Super Junior. Um, but he's looking really good. He looked really good at Jingu, and he's looking good here. And so, yeah. You know, part of it is um, because I'm not loving the shows overall, by the time I get to the main event, I'm already burned out. And I'm not, maybe I'm not giving him a full fair shake. So that might also be kind of be part of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'm just ready for, I'm ready for the G1, but I'm also not. All at the same time, like I'm ready to get a bunch of singles matches, but there's so many in such a short amount of time. I'm kind of like, ah, but, uh, yeah, I'll take your word for it. I mean, if you're an accurate star Raider, so if it's three and a half, it's three and a half. (laughs) And at least with a G1, we only have the the tournament matches. We don't have undercards to worry about. Precisely. So, uh, Bushi and Hiromu, uh, move on with the two points. They get the dub and, uh, we go to night two. So we had, um, the first of the two tournament matches, we had uh, Suzuki Goon team taking on the Bull Club team, and um, I don't know, shenanigans, healed them. <laughs> yeah, heel on heel match. Um, this is a match where they got the heat on Gato. <laughs> yes, they, the Gato was out here acting like a sympathetic babyface for a portion of this match. They were beating this man down. Do you want me to admit something? I thought I would never admit in this on this show ever. What? I miss El Fantasmo <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I guarantee you that this match would have been so much better with shitty ass Fantasmo and uh, Taiji Ishimori as opposed to Ghetto. Uh, in fact, they had a match last year, I believe, at the um, World Tag League or the Junior Tag League when it was these two teams. But you know, we had Fantasmo, and I actually liked that all heel showdown um i was like night one or night two of that tournament but uh i didn't love this match yeah i didn't like this one either um there's just so many shenanigans and something overall that we should probably mention at the beginning to just like the the atmosphere of these shows so it's uh in sendai and one of those kind of like gymnasium you know kind of buildings and bro they're in the weirdest they've been in some, i'm sure they've been in this building before they, but for they some have, reason yeah. they have yeah why okay I'm pretty sure they have this building reminds me of a building in sendai that they've been to before that's all gray and stone like this but i don't remember there ever being escalators mm. and those are pretty distinctive escalators i feel like i would have rem- i don't know i it's weird i have a great memory when it comes to some things i don't know if you noticed there's like some things i just i'm like a steely trap and then there's other shit i just forget for no reason it's weird <laughs> i don't know why but like I don't remember them ever working in Sendai in a building that had escalators like that. And maybe I'm just forgetting. Yeah, honestly, I didn't really, really pay attention to the escalators, so I kind of missed. Bro, the... people people be riding them in the middle of the show. 
Oh, but yeah, the atmosphere for these shows, like obviously, yes, we know that the fans aren't allowed to cheer, but even still, like the Corkin shows, like the fans definitely just felt more lively. They were clapping more, felt like they had more energy. The fans here were not like they clapped, but like I don't know, they weren't like into it. Like I felt like the Corkin crowds were. We didn't. We didn't. Bro, have, you're biased against Sendai crowds. <laughs> we didn't have the fan app here to get the, some that kind of crowd noise at all, and so. These shows were like, I feel like extra quiet with people there. And so it kind of brought the energy down. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, uh, the Suzuki Goom team took the win here. They used the story bottle of whiskey to uh, knock out Ghetto. I've got a feeling, based on what we're seeing here already, the Bullet Club team is probably going to go 0 and 3 in this tournament. Because Gato's the pinfall eater, and Taiji Ishimori's already the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, so it's not really going to hurt him one way or the other. So I think that's why Gato's there is to kind of like eat all these pins, eat them up. Yeah. Main event: We had the um, team of Lij Bushi and Hiromu Takahashi taking on the Hontai team of Master Wato and Ryusuke Taguchi, and surprisingly, this match was, in my opinion, pretty good. Um, I would say best tag team match of this little tournament so far. Yeah, it's, it was another very good main event. And once again, you know, Hiromu, I think, was you know, the standout here in, in this match. Oh, what? No, Wato, bro. Wato. <laughs> you um, mispronounced his name. His name is Master <laughs> Wato. <laughs> I mean, I didn't I did think uh, Wato and Hiromu did have some good chemistry. Um, so, you know, if they eventually have a singles match down the line, that could end up being pretty good. First first meeting between these two that I can think of since Wato returned from Excursion, uh, which I think is something people have kind of been – I don't I wouldn't say clamoring for, but just kind of like inquiring about, especially since when Wato first showed up, we sort of thought it would be a big deal. And Hiromu was the junior champ, so we are sort of like, are we going to see a showdown? Uh, it wasn't quite all that, but um, I could definitely see – the Lucha Libre influence between both of them and them being more comfortable working together than uh, Wato has looked working with, say, Kanemaru or even Doki. Right, yeah, that could, that could be potential for, like, Wato to have his, his best match and then feel more comfortable. Again, like you mentioned earlier, Hiromu is, <laughs> you know, just incredible, so that makes sense. Um, Taguchi was working really hard, big big match to Gooch. We saw him do, the, you know, his dive over the... Uh, Top rope to the outside, that plancha. Uh, all these guys were just really on. Bushi was on. I 18 minutes didn't overstay its welcome. I would go three and a half on this match. I thought it was very good. I liked it much better than uh, night one's you know, uh, finale. In fact, if I were to give you a, a recommended match from either of these shows, this is the only one I'd really recommend personally. Yeah, I, I would recommend both main events. I like both of them a lot. Um, something else we got to mention too, uh, Bushi and Romu. I don't think they were doing this tag finish. Oh, it's, it's, it's a new finish. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they weren't doing this before. These, they're calling it the LAT. It's like this, like a, a roll-up thing into a double uh, face buster thing. Yeah, I've never seen it before. And uh, Hiromu had LAT on his uh, new tights or trunks. And uh, I didn't even know what that was. Like, I didn't know they were calling that move LAT until you literally just said it on the air. So I've literally been sitting here in wonder, like, what the fuck is LAT and why is it on his uh, <laughs> trunks? Like, 
so yeah, so they hit the LAT, they get the win here, and they advance with four points. So now we have LIJ on top with four points. We have Taguchi and Wato with two points. We have Suzuki Goon with two points, and then uh, Bullet Club with zero points. Okay, so what is left in the tournament then? So yeah, I'm gonna pull the, the the schedule up right now. But we had a question here from Kenny Omega Fan 18. Do you think we will see Hiromu oh, Takahashi? Whoa, 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 whoa! What was his name? Kenny Omega Fan 18. Bro, you have to ask questions to everything elite. That you you're asking questions to the wrong show, wrong type of fan. Uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> Kenny, he's not even allowed in the country. <laughs> Uh, he asked, do you think Will we see Hiromu Takahashi versus Master Wato In a singles match Ever in life, yeah Yeah, I mean, I mean def- There's only so many juniors <laughs> Right, it's definitely gonna happen um, But uh, Moving on, so I'm Gonna pull up the schedule here So on September 9th Looks like it's the, the next live show here That will be on New Japan World So we Wednesday have, Yep so we have Kojima versus Yota Suji as the opener. There'll be an eight-man tag with Yumura, Yoshihashi, Ishii, and Goto against Gabriel Kidd, Sho, Yana, and Okada. Then there'll be another eight-man with Hanuma, Nagata, Ibushi, and Tanahashi against Doki, Saber, Taichi, and Suzuki. Then the G1 Climax entrance will be announced. Then there will be a six-man tag with Sonata, Shingo, and Naito versus Yujiro, Dick Togo, and Evil. And then we'll have two more tournament matches. It will be Master Wato and Taguchi against Gato and Taiji Ishimori. And then Bushi and Hiromu against uh, Suzuki Goon. And then that's that's it. for uh, That will determine the finals, right? Right. Okay, so... All right, let's talk about this real quick. <laughs> Since that's coming up. So Suzuki Goon has two points. Taguchi and Wato has two points. Um, Ishimori and Gato have zero points, and then Hiromu and Bushi have four points, right? Right. Okay, so we got Suzuki Goon against Lij on the final night, and then Hantai against Bullet Club the final night. Yeah. Okay. And what's the rules? The two teams with the most points face off on the finals. Correct. Is that going to be on the eleventh? Yes. Okay, so that's not happening. Okay, it's before the G1. I mean, okay, so let's throw out some scenarios. Um, well, worst case, worst case scenario, if Taguchi and Wato win, and then um, Suzuki Goon win, they will all and they'll both end up with four points and be tied with Hiromu and Bushi. We'd wind up with a three-way tie. Is there any tiebreaker eliminator thing there that would get? Not that we know of. I would assume at that point we'd probably wind up with a three-way match. I mean, that seems like it could be a possibility. The other thing is Ishimori and Gato, they are completely eliminated. So if they win their match against... um, And just to kind of... Okay, they're going up against uh, Taguchi and Wato. Yeah. If they win their match, they're playing spoiler, basically. Exactly. They would so not. they will. They'd wind up with two points, and Taguchi and Wato would wind up with two points, and that's that. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a tough one because it's like, think about it for a second. Um, 
And Desperado and Kanemaru only have two points, right? Correct. Yep. So if hypothetically Ishimori and Gato beat Taguchi and Wato, right? They wind up with two points. Taguchi and Wato wind up with two points. Then at that point, Desperado and Kanemaru have to beat Hiromu and Bushi to basically bring both those teams up to four points. Otherwise, if Hiromu and Bushi go undefeated and go 6-0, and those three teams would be tied at 2-0. and Right, and then you would have to do like a four-way. <laughs> Something like that, or some sort of tie eliminator. It, it, it just gets really convoluted. That's why I don't like these single-block tournaments, personally. Um, there's always the chance Taguchi and Wato win, and then um, Hiromu and Bushi win, and then we just get the, the match between those two. I'm. I'll tell you right now. I'm leaning to a three way. I don't know. I'm just leaning to a. Uh, I think one of two things is happening here. Personally, I think either Taguchi and Wato are winning, and then Desperado and Kanemaru are winning, and we're going to wind up with a three way between those three teams, or Desperado and Kanemaru are winning. And then uh, Ishimori and Gato are going to play spoiler, and we're going to wind up with a Lij Suzuki Suzuki Gun final. Yeah, I'm personally leaning on your your, uh, your second prediction there. I think that we're probably going to see yeah Gato and Taiji you know Taiji pinning Wato get the win there, and then Suzuki Gun um, gain the win over Lij, and then that will set up a rematch for the finals of Lij and Suzuki Gun for the tag titles, a a feud that's We've seen it before. They're, they're good matches. Kind of rekindle that that rivalry, that that feud, and they are good matches. But how? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Exciting is that to see the same match back to back like two nights in a row. Yeah. I mean, they can, and you know, there's probably going to be a fuck finish like Desperado and Kanemaru will probably use the the bottle, whiskey bottle. Right. Um, I would say Bushi spits something, but they're not doing spit. (laughs) That's not totally friendly. (laughs) But that you're, you're probably right. I mean, I think that's the most likely scenario. I think a three way is the second most likely, but I think, Lij against uh, Suzuki Goon probably ends up being, you know, the the final feud, and then after after, uh, but that leads me to think ultimately if uh, Suzuki Goon is cheating on the first night to get into the finals, you're probably going to see Hiromu and Bushi get some sort of comeuppance to uh, you know win the titles on the final night. Yeah, I I could totally see Bushi and Hiromu winning the titles. Which um, is interesting if you think about – well, we'll know more, say, probably by the time this – a day after the show drops, we'll know more Wednesday about, like, who's going to be in the G1. I was sort of thinking Hiromu was going to be in it or even Desperado. 
but the way it's looking like, I don't know. I don't know if like being a junior champion is a good omen for you. If you wind up going into a G one climax, even if it's just not. Yeah. I mean, it, cause yeah, you definitely, obviously there, you regardless are still a junior, but definitely with a junior title, you're definitely looked at as a junior and you Potential of getting a lot of wins is not very high. Yeah. So, I mean, there is a chance Hiromu and Desperado might not be in it. Yeah. It might just be, like, I feel pretty strong show is for some reason. Well, what they've been heating up with him and Ishii, it makes a lot of sense that they yeah. those guys would end up in the same block. But, um, so, I mean... What is your gut instinct? So we, I think we both think we're winding up with the Suzuki Goon and um, Lij final. You think Lij is taking this? Yeah, I say yeah. Hiromu and Bushi uh, get the titles here. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna go with Lij. I'm gonna go with Suzuki Goon. I'm gonna say that they get the wins back to back, both nights. Mm. So that maybe Hiromu can go into uh, this G1 unfettered. <laughs> yeah we'll see what happens there but that's more wishful thinking than anything else because i'm like i don't really want I, I don't know i don't want Hiromu to be a junior champion i don't know and then you, <laughs> then you think about what does what does that mean post g1 does that mean he has to defend the junior tag titles at Russell kingdom or he'd have yeah to, he'd have to drop them pretty quickly after g1 if they want to do something singles for him at Russell kingdom well, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, I think they're just trying to do the best they can do. So Yeah. And so then on September 11th, we'll have the finals of this tournament. So the, the winners here will face each other off on September 11th. Also on that show, we will get the never six-man tag title match with Yoshihashi, Hiroki Goto, and Tomohiro Ishii against Sho Toriyano and Kazuchika Okada. Rematch from the finals of the never six-man tournament that we just saw. Right, so that 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 eleventh show should actually be good. You got it. You have a junior tag team tournament final plus a rematch of that really great six man tag that they've been trying to heat up. Uh, so that might be good. Um, I gotta tell you right now, gut. I know we've con- uh, sort of like um, criticized them doing three ways for the junior titles in the past, but at this point, I kind of hope they end up doing that. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. For whatever They've reason, done it before. Yeah, they they have, and I don't know for some reason I'm just leaning more towards just a straight up Lij Suzuki Goon. But like you mentioned, you know, a fresh back to ma- back would suck. Right, a fresh matchup, and it's a three way junior three ways are usually good, so they could probably they probably might end up doing that. That way too, like if you have Bushi lose the first night, which he would have to, then. He doesn't have to lose the second night if they were going to – like let's say they are going to put the titles on, say, Suzuki-Goon. Then you got Wato and Taguchi in there. Then you can really mix things up, you know? Um, so it doesn't look like Hiromu and Bushi are just eating two falls back-to-back, you know? I think if, if, I think if it ends up being like a – I think the scenario you booked where LIJ loses the first night and then wins the second night – that seems pretty plausible, but it's also like pretty pedestrian. I mean, like that's what you would expect to happen if that's the way it ends up booking out, you know? Right. The six man kind of throws a little bit more of a uh, question mark into, the, into it all. So I, I, you know, at this point, I hope they do the six. I hope they do the three way. 
So if we do the theory, are we, are we counting out Watto and Deguchi here? Could these guys steal us soon? Oh, you know, that's a great point. They really could. The thing is, this tournament's not that important. So, yeah, they could. And Why then, not? And then you give something for Watto Taguchi to do. You can kind of have Taguchi kind of learning from, or Watto learning from Taguchi. Um, and then Dude, you, if, if, if they do that, they can continue the uh, the Watto, Kanemaru, and Desperado feud just a bit afterwards, too. You know what? I'm gonna change my. You you've, you've actually changed my mind here. That's what, we're getting the six. We're getting the three way, and then Hanta is winning as the underdogs. And yeah, wait wait, then, wait to the grand coaches. Yeah, and then that way, Desperado and hypothetically Hiromu can both be in the G1 without a title. So I love that. Let's do that. <laughs> well, that's what we got coming up. Uh, for the rest of this week for New Japan Road So uh, now we're going to jump into the news And questions and the recommended match of the week So obviously one of the big news items here Like we mentioned earlier The G1 participants will be revealed on Wednesday So clearly you know we're recording this show Monday night will drop uh, Tuesday morning So obviously we won't have the participants to talk about here on this show But obviously we will do a big full G130 preview next week with all the participants. And I believe we'll have Chris Sampsa on the line for that one to uh, break down that. And stats on stats on stats, kids. <laughs> uh, but we did have a ton of questions here about Bro, G1. thank God to save this episode. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you, listeners, for sending your questions in. So, uh, first, let's start it off here from Reddit user PSAN91. says, do you think there's any substance to the rumors going around that two foreign talents are already in Japan quarantining for the G1? I guess we will find out on the September 11th Corgan show the full lineup and matches for this year's G1. What do you think? So, I, I, know I have heard a couple different sources saying that there are, they're rumored that there are people... At least one. I didn't know two, but there are at least at least one foreigner that's already in that's been in the country quarantining and will be ready for G one. Not sure which foreigner that is. I've seen Toa Hanare. I'm kind of teasing some stuff on his Twitter. There's a potential of it being Bad Luck Fale. Um, you know, one interesting name that's also been talked about is Will Ospreay. And I know me and you talked about this yesterday. Um, there's going to be another Epic Encounter show that's coming up. And I know we were discussing whether it was taped or whether it was live. And you read something, you know, where I was saying it was going to be a live pay-per-view. Uh, but then yesterday, again, I was kind of looking at RevPro site and uh, Fight TV and their the show is going to be on the Fight TV on demand and not like the normal Fight TV live kind of broadcast. And so, again, I'm still kind of wondering if somehow there's just not clear communication on whether that show is live or not. And if that match, that Osprey match is already taped and Osprey's already in Japan. That's a great question. You know, um, when I was doing research, uh, because we try our best to keep up with the uh, – one of the categories we have um, is the excursion match of the year, which is basically keeping track of any match that happens outside of New Japan <laughs> involving a New Japan talent that might be of a high enough quality to you know, 
be nominated for excursion match of the year come award season. This is something I, I periodically work on. And I noticed that Will Ospreay was working some matches for Ref Pro. Uh, one of those dates is Sunday, September the 13th, which is literally like a week before the G1. And given what we know about travel resti- restrictions and the quarantining protocols and everything like that, um, that would indicate hypothetically if this show is in fact live that he doesn't plan to be in the G1 and won't be taking place in it. Now, um, I tried to do some research today and what I saw was that they only announced the card for the show four days ago. And the reports I was reading were indicating that this show is live on pay-per-view. Um, but that could be mistaken. Like you mentioned, it could have already been taped and I just don't happen to have the proper information here. Um, I try to look more into it today once you kind of like raise some doubts. So I don't really know what the answer is to be honest with you because they're not selling tickets. And that's usually the way I would, um, gauge this sort of thing, you know, as I would look to see, okay, like they're going to be selling to the crowd so we can kind of tell what day it actually happened. And, because that's not the case and everyone's kind of tight lipped on whether this is taped or actually happening that day. I don't really know, to be honest with you. Yeah. The, the, the weird thing for me was just the whole, the, the fight TV promotion it being promoted as fight on demand and not like this is a live fight TV broadcast. You know, I would, this is a situation where I would like to be wrong. I would like to be wrong that it's not live and that it was already taped and that, you know, Will Ospreay is making the, necessary adjustments uh you know him and b Priestley, they have their residence in japan at this current time so i you know there have been we don't we're not experts on the travel restrictions and everything but there have been reports that if you have residence in japan you might be able to get back to the uh, country at this point so hopefully that's the case i mean i the g1 would be much better off with will osprey in it than not yeah i agree with you which is very interesting, which leads to our next question from a Reddit user, why did you do that, bro? So does, does Osprey still deserve a spot on the New Japan roster after all the shit, he's, shit he did was confirmed? Okay, great question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know that I just said that the G1 would be better off with Will Osprey on it. And in fact, from a wrestling perspective, it would. Because I think Will Ospreay is one of the greatest wrestlers of a generation, especially in the past year or so. But when we got this question, Jeremy, uh, I know it's our job to kind of keep up on what's going on with New Japan. When speaking out was happening, it was a whirlwind. I mean, so many accusations, so many different things. And like, honestly, New Japan never really addressed any of their contracted talent that had any sort of allegations surrounding them. Um not that there were a lot, but there were a few that like literally just flew under the radar. The most high profile of them was uh, Will Ospreay. Um, and at the time when it was happening, I think you and I both, especially me, I think I went out and made a statement and I was like, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's one, of, it, it's a tough situation because you want to believe victims. You want to have a safe space where someone who's been victimized can speak publicly and name their accuser and take back their power and everything. But you also want to – like I believe in this American concept of like innocent until proven guilty. You know, I think it's important that someone be able to mount a defense 
and also, um, you know, not necessarily be have their life ruined by something that maybe hypothetically didn't even happen or they didn't even do, you know, because um, we don't know the hearts and the intentions and the motivations of every single individual person. Um, and I'm not victim blaming when I say that. it's just that's the case. Sometimes humans lie. <laughs> it's happened in the past. I'm not saying it's the, the norm or the rule, but that is the case. But Jeremy, I got to tell you the truth. Once I started looking into this, once I read this question, and once I did my own research, I think Will Ospreay did that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really think he did. I really think he did. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, there's a lot. Of I don't love. think it's tough. I think he did this shit. I think it's pretty provable. Um, and and the whole reason I went into that diatribe is because I am someone who will not go out on a limb and say for sure whether someone did or didn't do something unless it's really proven. But when you – and I mean I can go through it real quick. But I mean when you look at everything that was said by the different parties and the proofs that were performed – now, keep in mind, no one has come out and accused Will Ospreay of actually – what they've accused him of is blackballing someone else who uh, spoke out in the past. Against one of his friends. Against one of his friends and he was defending that person and hypothetically the, the accusation was that he was derailing that young lady uh, Pollyanna's career because she spoke out against his friend. Um, I can't sit here and say we know all the ins and outs of the story, you know, mm-hmm. at all. Um, and it is a complicated issue because apparently him and her had relations in the past and her and his girlfriend B don't like one another. So there's some drama there and there's some, he said, she said stuff, but based on the things he has claimed, and based on the things that other wrestlers have claimed in, in Pollyanna's favor, as well as promoters, as well as the emails that were shared online that go against the recollection that he provided on Twitter, and then his silence in the fact of, of those, uh, those emails that were provided by the promoters that go – that corroborate her story about him blackballing her, I do think he did it. So – I know I've been hearing there's only been like one promoter that kind of came out, not okay. Maybe even just one promoter, and 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 you could say maybe that person was lying, but there are emails. Yeah, <laughs> they're not just saying they didn't just say, "Hey, she's telling the truth." They said she's telling the truth, and we had to we had an email exchange about the issue, and here they are. Right, and and they're dated, and the dates are way further back than what Will provided on his public appeal initially. Um, we don't know all the details, but I don't think he's guiltless is what I'm saying. Right. I don't know the extent to what he did, but he did something, bro. There's he definitely did there's, something. there's something there, but at the end of the day, like New Japan is probably not going to like do a deep dive on this and it's probably not going to affect his stance in the company. It's not, it's, it's just not like they didn't do shit when Michael Elgin, um, <laughs> had his issues going on. And you know, what's funny they had, I'm, I feel very confident new Japan knew about it because they kept him off of every 
War of the Worlds. I mean, obviously him and Ring of Honor had their issues as well, but like they kept him off of every ROH show. They kept him off of every England Rev Pro show and every single US tour that they did while he was with the company. He was not – the only one that he appeared on was during that Long Beach show where he was in the uh, U.S. title tourney. That was it. Right. Um, but there was a lot of shows that he could have been on that they kept him off of. I think they – I think New Japan knew and they just didn't care. Yeah, which is you know, not, 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 not the best situation to be in for New Japan. It, well, it, it's weird because if you cheat – in Japan, we saw what happened with Taka recently. We've seen what happened with Taichi in the past and other guys. Um, obviously, they kind of covered it up when it came to Shibata. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it's a big deal over there if you're a Japanese guy and you do that. But, like, for some reason, I don't know. There's a double standard when it comes to Westerners. But they also, if you, if you did that, if, if you did something – sexual allegations whatever and it becomes public knowledge like we've seen uh at least a pattern where they won't use you in the states right uh maybe because of fear of like reprisal or upheave like from the crowd or something like that yeah so yeah again it's one of those situations where you know if it does come out that you know osprey's 100 percent in the wrong I don't think even even if that comes out, I don't. I still think New Japan's still going to book him, and he's going to, you know, be fine. Uh, well, I don't think it's ever going to come out, and I'm not justifying what he did or anything like that. I, you know, and I, I hate to like compare, you know, and maybe I'm not even the person that's qualified to do that. What he's being um, accused of is truly, actually, a really awful thing, like completely. Um, but it's also not there are there's just degrees of different things you know um i don't know you know i don't know it's it's not for me to say i guess one way or the other like because um i don't know if i don't know if he's learned from this and grown from it and maybe changed or if like he got caught and he's upset now that he got caught and now his whole shit is blown up in uh the uk like i don't know but like the one thing I feel pretty confident about after really looking into it and reading everything, I think he did it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I think he fucked that girl's career up to cover for his friend. And also the tweet that he, he shared all those years ago, I know he took it down and everything, but like it did speak volumes. Like I think he thought she was lying. This is just speculation, but I think he thought she was lying and his girlfriend didn't like her. And he tried to fuck up her career. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's one of those things. Like, obviously, like, there's no excuse for defending Ray. But if it's your good friend, and the story comes out, of course, your, your initial reaction is probably going to be to defend your friend and not try and look into if if your friend actually did it or not. One thing I will say: I said earlier that I think everyone is innocent until proven guilty. But I also think that if an allegation is made, that that needs to be taken extremely seriously and truly looked into to the full extent. And I don't think you can give anyone a benefit of a doubt that's been accused until that thing is really like looked into. You know, like um, I was talking to my girlfriend about this recently, and like she was like, "If if if you were in the same situation, you wouldn't just straight up defend your friend." I'm like, "No, <laughs> no matter who they were, no matter who it was, because." 
at the end of the day, you don't know what's really in the hearts and minds and actions of anyone else. You know, mm-hmm. you just don't, you know, how much, no, no matter how close you think you are to somebody or, or what you think you know about them, like whether it's a, a best friend or a family member, you don't like, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't have their back, but like, nah, I'm not going to like, if one of my friends gets accused, I'm going to be like, all right, let's look into it. You're like, well, yeah, what's the, where's the fact? Like, what's the story here? Yeah. Let's, yeah. Yeah. So. so, but I think you did. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the uh, next question. Unfortunately, I don't think one way or the other it's going to affect his career at all, at least when it comes to Japan. Yeah. So uh, moving on to the next question from Reddit user uh, from underscore stress underscore. What are the chances we get a couple of workers from outside of NJPW in the G1? Either way, what would your dream three be to join this year's tournament? I really want Sakimoto, Kento Miyahara, and Crazy Kid Takeda. Those are some really good, <laughs> good choices. I don't think any. I don't think we're going to have any outsiders, just based on even with the limited roster, they have so many workers um, capable of being in the G one. I don't think they're going to have an outsider. The other reason I don't, I really don't think they're going to have outsiders is because uh, the N one victory, as well as the Champions Carnival. They're not all taking place exactly at the same time, but there will be overlap between those three tournaments. And um, the All Japan tournament is pretty stacked. The N one is really stacked, and a lot of the top talent that are in those in you know both Noah DDT and All Japan and everything like that, they're kind of wrapped up in the, those. So I don't know if they're going to have enough time to like break away and show up for uh, a G one plus New Japan. Just they're. They're exclusive. They don't really use outside talent anymore. It's been that way for since 2015. Yeah, and I was talking about this with a friend of the show, Zach Porter, this weekend. And just obviously, you know, with Cyber Agent kind of controlling Noah and DDT and stuff like that, you have all these different companies that are kind of, you yep. know, controlling these other promotions. It's like, you know, Bushi Road's not going to want to work with Cyber Agent, and Cyber Agent's probably not going to work with Bushi Road. And so that's yes. definitely going to restrict you know outsiders coming into new japan well think about it too it's like okay um cyber agent basically means no go for noah no go for ddt okay dragon gate doesn't even work with outsiders so that's a no-go so what does that leave you with you got all japan and we're just talking about if hypothetically they're realistically going to bring in outsiders the only real options you have are all japan and what big japan yeah. And then freelancers, I don't know, freedoms, I don't know. Just tap out. <laughs> yeah, J- well, that could actually happen. Yeah. Um So yeah, I don't know, man. 2AW. <laughs> <laughs> um but you know, you named some really great names here. I mean, Kento Miyahara is obviously like on the easy short list, so is Sakamoto. Takeda would be fun, but I don't know if he he should do a G1. I mean, I don't know. Like, Kento Miyahara and Sakamoto would be two of the top names on my list, but like he's asking for three. I don't know if I sh- if that's cheating to just use the same two names he's using. I think you would probably use those same two names too. Right. I mean, those would probably be the first two names that come to my mind, and then trying to think of other people. I mean, I mean, I would. Th- I think Marafuji comes to my mind, but he's he's Noah, right? Bro, and Noah. There's a, there's Kiyomiya. There's Marafuji. Uh, what is Junakiyama there? I don't even know. 
Mm, I think he might be. Kino's over there. Um, Nakajima's there. There's quite a few guys that like I would love to to bring over. Um, I mean, All Japan has some guys too. I don't know, man. Like, I guess if I was to just give you, okay, I'll just give you a simple answer. Kento Miyahara and Daisuke Sakamoto. There's those are my first two, and then number three. Let's go. I don't know. Let's go Nakajima, I guess, from or I don't know, Sagura. I don't know. I would I would go if it was possible. I would go Marufuji for my for my third one. Marufuji would be a good one, but he's been in it before. I, I'm I'm trying to think of the future. Maybe Kiyomiya would be fine. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe Marufuji. Like those are three easy answers. Uh, next question for Reddit user Hawaiian Punch BB. Since Champions Carnival and the N1 have no outsiders, do you see a chance of outsiders in the G1 drastic go down? Do you think it's a case of Puro Indies being a safe and or can't afford to let some of their talent go since they're also holding shows? I saw Mochizuki was working, I thought the N1, and that's an outsider, but I think, I don't, you know, the funny thing is we don't, we don't follow those promotions. That's the thing, like, realistically, I mean, we catch matches, but like, I, I'm not sitting here, I don't have a subscription to their streaming services, do you? I do not. <laughs> um, as far as the question, though, um, I, there's, I've, I think there's never really been a chance of any outsiders being in the G1 for the reasons we mentioned earlier. Right. And and I I don't think it's so much about the Puro. The funny thing is I think other people are worried about like, oh, if the Puro Indies you know, have people showcase New Japan, they might get poached or something like that. But I don't even think that's the case. I think it's just New Japan doesn't want to give any kind of shine spotlight or recognition to any sort of outsider. Like they don't need to. They're almost like – you know, I hate to compare it, but like they're like WWE in Japan. Like, why would W? You know, you're never going to see WWE at this point bring in a guy from AEW or MLW or you know, unless they're signed exclusive, they're just not going to. And I think that's how New Japan is at this point. Right. I feel like you know we have you know in the past also they they've like brought in like Dragon Gate guys and DT guys and we've seen them quote unquote kind of poach like Golden Lovers and Ricochet and guys like that, but. To this point, I feel like they they kind of have their established roster and systems and their top promotion doing the best business ever. Like, there's no real reason to bring in somebody unless it, it's going to unless they're going to sign them and it's going to benefit them in the long run. Yep. Uh, next question here for everybody: Is a Rambone Slam Pig? It seems probable that the long term booking plans for this year's G1 have been impacted in some way by the unforeseen circumstances related to COVID. And the lack of foreign talent, do you think that increases the chance of finally seeing the G1 winner lose their title shot contract later in the year? I do, actually. Um, <laughs> and this is a conversation we have every year, and it comes up multiple times throughout the year, and I'm not a fan. I don't think anyone who wins the G1 should ever lose their contract. At all, ever. I don't think there's any circumstances that that is – I think that's a terrible booking decision personally. But if they were ever going to do it, um, let's say hypothetically, let's just give you an example. Let's say, let's say Jay White or Will Ospreay were for sure going to win this G one, and you for sure want them in the uh, Wrestle Kingdom main event. 
but they can't make it. So everything has changed. And you still plan to have your big money making Wrestle Kingdom, you know, match with that foreign talent like a Jay White or like Will Ospreay. Then yeah, maybe you have someone else win the G1 and then lose to one of them to set up the match that you really want. I think that's terrible booking. I'm not a fan of it. But I think that there's a higher likelihood of it happening now than there had been in the past, personally speaking. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. And I mean, and especially, you know, this year, 2020, we've definitely seen a lot of questionable booking decisions. So, you know, why not add another one to it? And so uh, what what questionable booking decisions? Things have been great in New Japan. <laughs> Didn't you know stories been telling really great stories, big moments? Just, it's, just, it's all about moments this year, Jeremy. Yeah. That's the thing you don't get. It's not about star quality or notebook matches. It's about moments. You need to change your perspective on wrestling. You don't get it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah, I do agree. There's definitely uh, increased the chance of seeing the G1 winner lose your contract. And I agree with you. I don't think it would be great booking. And I don't, I really don't ever want to see the G1 winner lose their, their shot. So, but we'll see what happens. Grunty Dodd asks, do you think there, there will be an eight man G1 USA tournament on strong in November? I hope not. Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) Bro, I swear to God, if if New Japan Strong becomes the G1 in USA, the best of the Super Juniors in USA, the World Tag League in USA, I'm going to fucking disown that program. I'm going to pretend like it doesn't exist. I'm going to stop watching the shit. I don't – listen – when we agreed to do keeping it strong style, <laughs> we agreed to cover New Japan proper. No one told me anything about an offshoot in America on Friday nights. You know what we had on Friday nights? We had Access TV. They were playing reruns of shit I already saw. This is some new shit. I didn't sign up for this. That is not my contract. <laughs> I'm doing we're covering that shit out of the goodness of our hearts. And if it gets ridiculous and they decide to do an eight man G1 with Dave Finley, (laughs) (laughs) bro, what if it ends up being the DKC, Dave Finley, (laughs) Mysterioso, Carl Fredericks, TJP? (laughs) (laughs) Who else would be in there? I got five people in there. Fred Rosser. Fred (laughs) Rosser. Fred Rosser, PJ Black, and for eighth, who's our kicker for the eighth person? Kenta. Kenta. I'm not watching that shit. (laughs) If that person wins a title shot, they can bring their asses to Japan, wrestle on a road to show, and then maybe I'll talk about them. They better not do a G1 in the USA. I swear to God. I swear to God. Yeah, honestly, I I don't think there's any... That would just make no sense. Like we mentioned earlier, for New Japan of America, they really need to do stuff to kind of separate themselves, do their own tours, branding, own tournament names, that kind of stuff, and not not everything just in the USA. And then when Kenta wins that G1 in USA, <laughs> Jeff Cobb's going to come out and beat him up and immediately challenge him for his, ty- for his uh, uh, contract in the uh, fucking... It's going to be the same storyline they did. It's going to happen twice this year. <laughs> um, Jeremy, I, I swear to God, 
I promise you, if they do a G1 in USA, you can talk about it every week. And I will just be like, oh, that's really – that's crazy, man. And then we'll move on. <laughs> I am not watching it. If they if they pull out a G1 in the USA, I, I promise you on the air right now. I, I pray to G- – I'm telling you, I swear to Jesus, we're not watching – I'm not watching it. I'm not. I'm not doing it. Well, I, 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 I don't know. I feel like they want to do that, but I guess we'll see what happens there. I don't think they're going to do it, but I'm just giving you the forewarning. I'm not watching it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next question from Reddit user uh, Espadouche. Uh, what are you guys most pumped about, G1 or N1 victory? For me, it's the N1. And it's not even close. I will say out of the N1 and the Champions Carnival, the N1 looks quite a bit better, like significantly better. I mean, um, the field of guys that they have, is just really, 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 really awesome. And they got like their A block. I can't remember everybody that's in, but the A block doesn't have as many what you'd call names, but they have so many different style wrestlers that it's like a super interesting block. And then the B block has like the heavy hitters. Uh, that N1 term is going to be great. But like, I got to tell you, and I, I mentioned this in the Reddit group, I like actually commented on this post. How could we possibly? talk about what it, we're more excited for between the N1 and G1 when we only have literally dates for the G1. We don't have any names yet. We don't have any blocks yet. And we don't have any cards yet. Now, there's a chance the N1 ends up being better. They got a smaller field. They got some incredible matches. On paper, there's a possibility that the N1 is the superior tournament. That is no cap whatsoever. It might actually be the case. But come on, man. Let's hold off until the G1 blocks come out. And then, you know, once that B block comes out, we see, like, that it's the B for banger. Then we'll talk about it, you know. But if they if they fumble and, you know, they just don't have the stars and it doesn't look good, then, you know, then we'll talk about it. But it's too early. Yeah, and like you mentioned, like, we strictly follow New Japan. Like, I have never watched anyone. I've never watched Champions Carnival. I might have seen a match or two that's been recommended, but I don't I don't follow those companies. I don't follow the stories. I don't follow the wrestlers. Like even like you mentioned, even if N1 quote unquote is the better probably match lineup or potential matches, like I don't know any of those guys. I don't know the stories, the backgrounds, the histories. As far as like G1, I'm gonna know everybody in there. I know all the stories, I know the, the rivalries, the history, I know the potential of match quality. So I'm gonna be more excited about G1. Well, I'll tell you right now, A block has Goshi Ozaki, Kido Kiyomiya, Masaki Mochizuki, who is from Dragon Gate, who is an outsider. I was right about the outsider thing from earlier in the night. Uh, Kato Kiyomiya, Masa, or I'm sorry, uh, Masa Kiyomiya, and Kazushi Sakuraba. Like right there, there's um, for me at least three, maybe four names that really like. Uh, to me, that's just super exciting. You got a lot of different styles there, and then in the B block, you got Kino, Katsuhiko Nakajima, Naomichi Marafuji, uh, Shuhei Tanaguchi, Takashi Sagura, and Yoshiki Inamura. You've got four proven, like probably future Hall of Famers, all in the same block right there between Kino, Nakajima, Marafuji, and Sagura. So that's a fucking killer B block. Uh, that tournament is literally stacked like it actually really really is so um i'm not 
surprised at all that you'd be excited for the N1, but I mean, it's the G1 motherfucking climax, man. Come on. G- 19 nights, 30 days. Fuck yeah. Yeah, it's G130, man. G130. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, next question here. Kevin from DC says, uh, in a time that can only be described as cruel and unusual, New Japan announced that participants in the G1 will be announced on Wednesday, September 9th. I say cruel and unusual because obviously they did it to mess with your timeline of recording the podcast. With that said, how many wrestlers would you consider Stone Cold locks to compete in the tournament? We still don't know anything about foreign wrestlers who may already be in Japan, so I don't consider them locks. Obviously, they may need to rely on wrestlers who were left out of last year's G1, but I wouldn't consider them locks either. What are your thoughts? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I don't really know who I consider a lock lock. I mean, I guess we can go through some of the names. I mean, there's going to be, what, 20 competitors? Yeah, so I think let's pull up last year's blocks and see who we could consider. uh, I I was going to talk about, like, who's – on the cards that we see right now. Cause those are the names that we know are actually in the country, you know? Yeah. But I feel like a lot of the people that were in last year's <sighs> tournament are also still in the country. Yeah. So like, but here's the thing, unless they're a lock, we shouldn't talk about them. These are only people that we know like right. that. Like you're like, dude, it's a lock. They're for sure. in it. Yeah. So not at, not likely. Like for instance, I'll throw a name out there, Kojima. Right. I think Kojima's possible. Right. Even likely, but I won't call him a lock. So looking at last year's tournament, I think Kota Ibushi's a lock. Kazuchika Okada is a lock. That's two. Tanahashi's a lock. Three. Sonata's a lock. Four. Sonate and uh, Zack Saber Jr. is a lock. Yep. Five. Then I think Kuroki Goto's a lock. Yep. Tetsuya Naito's a lock. Uh-huh. Shingo Takagi's a lock. Yes. Taichi's a lock. Yep. Tomohiro Ishii's a lock. We're at 10. And then Toriano's a lock. That's 11. So we got quite a few spots to, like, fill up. Um, did, I, did I say evil? Nope, you didn't. That's, oh, so, so evil's a lock. What is that, 11 or 12? 12. 12, okay. So we're at 12. Um... So let's talk about some people that we think might be locks that weren't in it last year. Yoshihashi's in it almost every year, was not in it last year. I think he is a lock. Mm-hmm. That's 13. I think um, last year Minoru Suzuki was not in it, and he is almost every year. That was the first year he wasn't in it. He's a lock. He's a never, 14. He's a never champion too, so. Yep, that's 14 guys right there. Um, anyone else that's on the roster that's in Japan I would is not a lock. That means basically you got 14 guys that I think are guaranteed no matter what happens. They're completely in it. And that means we got six open slots. Right. And there's definitely a, a, a ton of directions they can go to those slots. You can, you can go Hiromu. You can go Sho, Desperado, uh, Kojima. If you, yeah. Um, I mean, there's always like um, – God, why do I forget names? What's the one dude who bring, wears the chains? He Makabe. comes out to, huh? Togi Makabe. Yeah, why do I forget names? Yeah, Makabe is <laughs> definitely a possibility. He's been in most G ones for the past couple I, I, he's decades. Still, he's, past still, decade. he's still filming the movie though. Oh, I forgot about that. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you you just threw out four names right there. Plus, I mean, there's Hanma. I'm not saying Hanma should be in one, but 
You just never know. Ujiro. Probably going to get people like that this year. Probably going to get a Ujiro. Probably going to get a Hama. Someone like that. Yeah, get, need, need, need some pin eaters. <laughs> uh, hypothetically, long shot to Gucci. I don't know, man. If, if I was going to round out those last couple. Okay, so we got our 14 locks. Let's just pretend for the sake of fun. Let's just say Jay White and Will Ospreay get back. Okay, so it takes you to 16. So you got four more. Who would those last four be out of the people that are left here? I mean, I, I would do I would do Kojima. Okay, we're at fifteen. I would do Hiromu. Or, I would do Hiromu. Or we were no, we were at sixteen already. So that brings you to seventeen, eighteen. I do Show. Show and Desperado. Yeah. Yeah, and there's your G one. That's a really great G one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so yeah, it's a great lineup there with those guys right there too. So yeah, so. That would be a fucking killer G1. Yeah, with I mean, just that lineup. Yeah, that's, that's pretty exciting stuff right there. And there there are some fresh matchups you can do there with the junior guys getting in the mix. We'll see what happens. I, I don't think we're going to get be quite as lucky. I, I'm skeptical about the outsiders and the Gaijins showing up. But, I mean, just looking at those 14 guys we have there, I mean – with the six with the six slots that they have open, I mean, they can do some pretty interesting and and compelling stuff. So yeah, nice. Well, that wraps up um, the questions as related to G one. Then two other uh, news items here. Uh, so well, we had other questions. Yeah, not related to G one. Oh, sorry. Okay, my bad. It's <laughs> <laughs> like we had a lot of other questions. I didn't even realize these were just G one questions. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, two last news stories. So, Bushi Club Road, they've rebranded their uh, wrestling team, uh, Team New Japan. And it's Yuji Nagata. He's still going to be coaching these wrestlers, these amateur wrestlers. And their goals are to get the gold in the Olympics in 2021. So, pretty cool to have some some kind of New Japan representation in the Olympics. Bro, I hope uh, Team New Japan fucks up everybody, including Team America. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the Monday free match of the week is from the 2006 G1 Finals from Hiroshi Tenzon versus Satoshi Kojima. See, that's free on YouTube and New Japan World. Nice. So let's go into these uh, random questions that we have. We had quite a few. Uh, MJ Does PR asks, what is longer, the road to New Japan Road <laughs> <laughs> or the way to the Grandmaster? If New Japan had its entire roster for the G1, would Carl Fredericks be included? Well, first of all, I think the the road, uh, the way to the Grand Masters longer because we we never even had a road to New Japan Road. We've just had New Japan Road. Yeah, it's just road. We're on the road, MJ. God, you you should know this. Um, but the way to the Grand Master is gonna be forever because there's no way that guy's ever gonna be a Grand Master. So we're just gonna be <laughs> on the way forever until he's like a dad. I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And the second part of his question about Carl Fredericks, what do you think? No. Yeah, I mean, being in the New Japan Cup is one thing, but then getting a G1 spot, especially if the full roster is available. Bro, I hope Hanare, I know we didn't mention him, but I hope Hanare, he's in that oceanic area. I hope he is able to show up and be in the G1. I would love that. That'd be awesome. Um, but yeah, as far as Carl Fredericks, I, I we like Carl Fredericks a lot, but I just don't see him being in the G one just 
yet. He just graduated. Yeah, he definitely is still. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't think it's it would this year would have been the right time for that. He got his ass beat by Kenta, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brv Tal Rainbows asked us. Do you guys or does anyone know if Mox is allowed to work on uh, a New Japan show in the USA while working for AEW? Um, the answer is no. Right, and we we saw that last year with the G1 in Dallas. Uh, he was not allowed to work on the Dallas show, and he's not been allowed to work on any New Japan shows that have happened in the U.S. since he's signed with AEW. Yeah, and you know, we've speculated over the past few weeks about this on this show when we kind of were like, well, we don't know the ins and outs of the contract because the uh, the G1 show last year was televised on Access. But these shows are not televised, so maybe there's a loophole there. But it's since been confirmed since his uh, interview on Wrestling Observer and the notes that Dave has shared with us, they have completely confirmed emphatically that he is not allowed to work for New Japan in the States no matter what the capacity is. Um, so no, he can't work for them while he's working for AEW and he's got a long-term contract with AEW. So. Right. I mean, I mean, I guess Tony Khan could always make some kind of exclusion if he really wanted to, but I highly doubt that will happen. I mean, Tony Khan has been making some really questionable, bad decisions recently. So, uh, as evidenced by that Matt Hardy match this past weekend. So I wouldn't be surprised if we made another bad decision here. <laughs> Well, speaking of AEW, Rambo and Slam Pig asked, do you think AEW sent Gato a royalty check for handing them their next heavyweight title program? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I can tell you this much. I bet you they're paying uh, Lance Archer better than he was making in New Japan. Oh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Gato didn't. Yeah. It, the only, Gato screwed Gato. Uh, Harold May. Harold May screwed Harold May. You know, Sugabayashi screwed Sugabayashi. How the fuck did they let Lance Archer go? They yeah. built this man up and then handed him off to AEW. There, that's one of the stupidest things they've ever done. That man should have been locked down right after the Osprey match. As soon as the Osprey match was <laughs> over, they should have offered him a long-term contract. What were they thinking? Dude, as soon as he walked to the back, I'd been like, "Sign this." <laughs> Bro, I remember we were watching that match, and and uh, James Boyd was like. If Vince saw this version of Lance Archer in 1996, he would have held the WWF title for a year. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, (laughs) uh, Next question from Viking Payne. He said, Inoki Genome Federation legend Brock Lesnar is currently a free free, uh, agent. If you were New Japan, would you let bygones be bygones and bring him back? I would not bring Brock back. I mean, uh, I don't know, man. I, mean, I guess it would just depend know. on what the contract. Like, you would have to make sure, like, he's actually like gonna do business and not gonna decide, like, ah, I don't want to do what. You, uh, you Bro, know. look how much business they did with Jericho. It, uh, they don't have crowds right now, so it, everybody's in a precarious situation when it comes to Brock. Because, like, for instance, if you're the UFC and you're on a pay per view model. Um, and even they're kind of limited based on the deal that they have with Fox. But let's say if they're on a traditional pay-per-view model, it might make a lot of sense to bring in Brock Lesnar for them. But for like other companies, it kind of depends. 
for a live touring company like New Japan? I don't know, man. Um, it would make sense long term, I think, if they had crowds. Because, dude, what if you could bring in Brock? What if you could tell a story where you bought, brought Brock in and similar to like the Jericho story where Jericho kind of like held the title hostage, but instead it's like he comes in and he fucks everybody up. They give they give him basically the Vader treatment. He comes in, fucks everybody up, wins the title, and whoever he beat for the title, you know, builds himself back up. It's a big it's a big rematch, and then he does business and he loses. They can really make a lot of fucking money off of it. A lot. Plus, Brock Lesnar is known in Japan. I think it, if I was New Japan, I would try to get Brock Lesnar. I think he could make a bigger business impact in New Japan than he can in WWE in 2021. Yeah, I guess my thing, I just want to make sure like they would actually have some kind of actual, you know, kind of locked in contract and nothing where he's going to kind of back out or, you know, we, we've kind of seen the past of Brock where he kind of just falls out of love. He's pretty much not really in love with wrestling. It's all about the money for him, but he'll just kind of want to do his own thing. And so, yeah, but the thing is, is like the reason that <laughs> that you know, the, the deal with what was going on back then was like, he wasn't getting paid. You know, he didn't just leave out of, because he's a villain and he's an evil guy. He's a smart businessman. And they owed him money, and he's like, all right, you guys owe me money. You're not going to pay me? All right, fuck y'all. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm taking your belt. Um, it is funny that Viking Payne called him an Inoki Genome Federation legend. Like, he only wrestled once for them on their debut show, and he lost. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, this is not I the, the days of Inokiism. Like, you know um, – it's a completely different day nowadays than it was all the way back then. So uh, I could see them. I'm not, and you know what the truth is? I would say the chances of Brock ever showing up in New Japan is less than one percent. This is not happening. I don't think they can afford to actually do like bring it. I mean, of course they could afford to bring him in, but it would be unwise to spend that money to bring him in right, right now. But it would be fun. Could you imagine him in Okada? That'd be dope. You know, that's what I'm saying. Him and Tanahashi, him and Okada, him and Naito, Ishii. him and Ibushi, him and Ishii. bro, him and Ishii is like my dream match. There's a lot of matches. Him and Suzuki, him and Shingo. Fuck, bro. Come on. <laughs> him and Will Ospreay. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of great matches there. They could tell a story. They could draw a lot of money. They could do it in a short period of time. Yeah. So uh, his next question. Have any of you guys listened to Tamil's latest podcast about sponsor culture in Japan? I found it pretty interesting. Do you guys think a similar concept could work in America? Um, well. <laughs> there, there's been a, a similar culture like that in the past in America. <laughs> what do you mean? The rat culture. Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> that was a real thing. That was a real thing at one point. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, I mean, to some extent, this does go on. I mean, there are fans who hang out with the wrestlers and they pay for them and take them out and that sort of thing. So, you know, um, it's not like with the big leagues, but it does happen. Yeah, I, I don't know if it would 
fully translate a full the exact same model if that would work over here. I mean, it could. Um, I know, I know it, on that podcast they were talking about you know the, the block party and kind of using that as like the way to like for sponsorship and stuff like that and doing more stuff like that over here. But yeah, I'm not sure if it's straight up like you have a sponsor that's taking you out for every show and all this kind of stuff. Bro, here's the thing. I'm never going to take any wrestlers out and pay for them to have food so that they can hang out with me. That is the most markiest shit that has ever. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm not willing to sit in line to pay for, to take a photo with you and get your autograph, I'm sure shit not paying for you to go get, go out to TGI Friday or whatever the fuck and hang out with me and pretend to be my friend. Right. I mean, there's already enough of that going on on the internet where everybody on the internet thinks that they're friends with the wrestlers that they're friends with. Dude, they're carny workers. They're trying to get you to give them money. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're not your friends, you know? And I mean, especially for us, I mean, we've been in situations where we've had, we've gone out to dinner with wrestlers and we've, we hang out with wrestlers all the time. It's like, and we haven't paid, we haven't given them money or, you know, bought them dinner or any stuff like that. No, but that's different because we're media. Right. I'm just saying, but even before. We, we've, but everyone, everyone here knows that we're media. So it is a little bit different. Yeah, that's like, true. Yeah. That is what is going on. Like, it's always an exchange of goods. Like, we're oh, media. Oh, y'all got a podcast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because before we had a podcast network, we were not hanging out with wrestlers. (laughs) As soon as people found out we had a podcast network, oh, shoot, you guys got podcasts? (laughs) It was different. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's just true. (laughs) His next Um. question. (laughs) Minoru Suzuki is my wrestler of the year so far, but the man is 52. Now I thought... That once a wrestler reached a certain age, New Japan would slowly would slowly moving down the card to dad status like other men in their fifties, like Nagata or Tenzan. Is Suzuki the exception to the rule, or is it because no one is brave enough to tell him? <laughs> um, well, I'll say I don't think your age has anything to do with detracting uh, with whether you can be wrestler of the year or not. I mean, look at Chris Jericho; he won the Observer Wrestler of the Year award just last year. Um, as far as Suzuki being an exception to the rule, I mean, I don't know, man. We we literally discussed this last week on the show, and it's something that's come up many times. I've said it. Um, the New Japan dad thing is a modern occurrence. It did not exist years ago. It really just didn't. Um, I mean, eventually, like guys like R- Ricky Choshu and Fujinami, I guess, did kind of get moved down. But they were big stars, and they were big, big drawing stars in title matches forever, for several, several decades. And um, it all just comes down to how big of a star you are, and how how good of a worker you still are. And why would they move you to dad status? The the whole reason for moving guys to dad status is because they're loyal to the company you want to keep using them they have something to offer but they're not able to continue to be in a main event role so you move them down it's a lighter load they're able to mentor the younger generation they're able to be in easier matches like multi-man matches they kind of facilitate giving back to the company 
But in the past, when they try to do that to guys like, I don't know, um, Sasuke and Choshu and all them, they were big enough stars where they didn't have to put up with that shit. Muto, they just fucking left and kept drawing. And some of them are still drawing. <laughs> right. Some of those guys that, that, that are older than the dads here are still making more money other places. So, you know, and it's not really a re- it's, it's a modern construct. Yeah. Yeah, we, like you mentioned, we talked about it before. And so, obviously, yeah, Suzuki's at the level where he's still having these banger matches. He's still a top star. Uh, I mean, he could easily leave tomorrow and go work somewhere else and draw. So, I mean, why why would you put Suzuki in, in a, an opening card role when he's still performing at a top level? Yeah. How would you feel tomorrow uh, if Harold May decrees that all New Japan wrestlers must get rid of their third-party engagement platforms like Twitch and Cameo, also from Viking Pain? Yeah, so obviously taking a shot here of the recent happenings with WWE and, um, you know, planning to stop people from using third-party uh, platforms. But I guess something came out today that now that they can use their, their real names on Twitch and YouTube and... Um, and Cameo. Yeah, well, I think the, main, the main ones that came out today were Twitch and YouTube. Okay. Dude, because the reports were that Vince was trying to say he owned their real names. Right. You don't own their <laughs> real names. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to leave that whole entire, I don't know, man. I mean, we could rip that topic to shreds right now, but I mean, I don't know if I feel like that's more one nation radio is covering that topic tonight. I know that they are going to have a balanced and well thought out and vitriol filled take on it. I'm sure they're going to fucking rip that up, you know, like crazy. You want to talk about it or no? I mean, ah, uh, uh, man, not really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his last question: Whose debut was worse, Master Watto or Matt Seidel? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> don't you be talking about Matt Seidel? <laughs> Matt Seidel is a great man. <laughs> that's that's my trainer. <laughs> oh man. Um, did did Master Watto have a bad debut? Well, I mean, he, I guess he. Oh, he's talking about when he just like came out the first time. Yeah, and, and got like, jumped by Doki. Oh shit! Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel. Here's the thing. Here's here's my, here's exactly what happened. I'm watching the pay per view. I'm like, who is this third man going to be? I was kind of thinking it might be Nick Aldis. To be honest with you, um, and you know, there's a lot of people could have been like. Now I'm thinking about it, it could have been any number of people. I, I, I also was like, it could have been Pac. I was hoping it's gonna be Chris Hero, or yeah, or like Chris Hero or something. Or, uh, but then it was my trainer Matt Seidel, who I, I, I will say this, peeling the curtain back a little bit. I should have known. I should have thought that this was a possibility. Once I saw him come out, I was like, it makes a lot of sense, <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of my training partners work for AEW. So I already knew that there was a very open line of communication between my school and AEW because we're already sending talent over there and we're going to be sending more talent in the future. It's already like an established relationship. But I also kind of didn't – I don't know. Like I feel worked a little bit (laughs) because after talking to Matt, I thought he was just doing ROH. Like I thought that that was like for the time being all he was doing. But you know – it's not like who am I? I'm just like a local trainee. It's not like 
Matt's going to tell me every, obviously I don't know who he told about this. I don't think anyone in the dojo aside from probably the guys that are working for AEW that are in the dojo that were there at the pay-per-view, they probably knew, but that was probably about it. Right. So he comes out and I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) I was like, this is crazy. I was like, like, not that I didn't think Matt could work there. He's worked everywhere in the world, obviously. And I was like, Oh man, this is so cool. And he gets up and I was like, shooting star press. (laughs) 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 And then he slipped and I was like, Oh no. And like my heart sank, bro. And it wasn't even like I wasn't even embarrassed. I was worried. I was really, uh, bro. I was so scared because I was just thinking about like Hayabusa and that sort of thing. And uh, you know, in class, we, whenever we're training, one of the things that Matt talks about is safety first above everything else. Safety first. And one of the things is ring awareness. You owe it, no matter what's going on. You need to be aware of where you are in the ring because. There's a lot of trust involved with wrestling and you want to trust your partner, but you can't always rely on them. You have to protect yourself at all times. And if something goes wrong, you need to know where you're at. One of the best ways to save yourself is if, especially if you're in motion, if there are ropes near you, try to break your fall, grab those ropes. It's something we do all the time. We literally do drills to do that. And when, when I saw him falling, I knew he was going to grab those ropes. Like I just knew it because that's muscle memory and that's exactly what he did. So uh, probably saved his life, honestly. Yeah, that was a real scary movie. So I was there uh, live at All Out. And so, yeah, huge pop for Seidel. Everybody was excited. Can't hit, you know, hit the big knee on um, Sean Spears on the ramp, runs in, goes for the shooting star. I was like, oh, my. yeah, I was legit just worried about him. I was like, man. Yeah, I hit him up. I hit him up after the show, and I was just like, "Everything good, coach?" He's like, "Yeah, all good." I was like, "Great." And I tried to pry for more information about him working with AW more. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't really get an answer, so (laughs) we'll see. Um, We got some questions here from Kevin from DC, though. Yeah. So his first question says, "When will the time come that the main unit group of Tanahashi and the rest suffer a similar fate to Chaos earlier, and now Los Ingobernables de Japón?" I am, of course, talking about having to put up with the likes of Yujiro Takahashi. First, Okada meanders through a laborious feud with the last, that lasts way longer than it needed to, and now Naito and Sons are competing in six-man tags with the lazy sloth. I promise I'm not biased. <laughs> so he's saying, when is Yujiro going to be moved to a feud with guys from uh, Hantai? Right. Here's the problem. There's nothing wrong with Yujiro wrestling guys from Hantai. That's actually where he belongs. He should be fighting guys like Tenkoji in six-man tags. That's where he belongs. That wouldn't even be bad. But I, I don't want to see him with Tanahashi or Ibushi. You know, it'd be fine if he fought Tanahashi and Ibushi. It really would, to be honest with you, because Tanahashi and Ibushi are part of the Hantai group, and they pretty much treat those six-man, you know, six, eight, and ten-man tags like days off you know it doesn't bring them down because that's what they're used to doing it's different when it's okada and naito and shingo it it is different it just is he probably should be in multi-man matches with those guys i mean i just don't want to see him wrestle at all so (laughs) 
It does suck because in the past, Yujiro has been a great wrestler, and uh, a lot of the statements I made this year about him having like that one annual good match a year that kind of went out the window. Like he's had more opportunity this year than he's had in years, and he's also squandered it more than he ever has in the past. Like this really is actively detracting my opinion of Yujiro Takahashi as a worker. But again, it's covid it's the current climate and situation and we we already know that it's affected quite a few people in many numerous different ways and um not everybody has acclimated to it well and if you're already a subpar worker it's probably gonna make it harder for you overall right uh next question in all honesty did you see minoru suzuki winning another title in his lifetime before winning and holding the never open weight uh belt I thought about this earlier after he won the title at Jingu, after he dropped the IC belt to Naito back in April 2018. I thought he was done holding gold. This was further suggested as he appeared to see the leadership to Taichi and occasionally ZSJ. Now he's back in a prime spot on the card as a defending champion. 2020 really is the weirdest year. Uh, well, me and Jeremy both predicted he would win the title. Yeah, I don't know why... I- I guess it, maybe it's the age thing, but people, a lot of people are like, we're seeing a lot of questions about like Suzuki and his age and his spot, and he's winning a title again. It's like the man. He's a badass motherfucker. He's still an incredible worker. Like he's still having great matches. He's a great character. He's still a top star, and it's the never open weight title. Like that that never title can change hands at any time to anyone, and he's you know. Famous with the title. I mean, he's held a title multiple times. Um, the only the only three titles in this company that I could never really... I'd be very surprised if he ever held at this point. Number one, the most impossible title for him to hold. Actually, there's four. And I'll put two of them together. Both the, junior, the IWGP <laughs> Junior and the IWGP Junior heavyweight tag team titles are probably out of his reach at this point in time. (laughs) I don't see that happening. Number two, the IWGB title. Little known fact, Minoru Suzuki is the second most failingest challenger for the IWGB title of all time behind um, Hiroki Goto. He's had seven failed title title shots. And at his age, and at this current time, I think it's Highly unlikely, not impossible, but unlikely that he wins that belt. Number three, I do think it's unlikely, but the least unlikely of these scenarios for him to regain the IC title. I don't ne- necessarily see them going with him as the IC champ again. They could, but the Never title, the Never Six Man titles, the Tag Team titles, the US title, those are all super doable. For Minoru Suzuki. Easy. Especially if he's still going to be putting out, you know, quality work that he is right now. Bro, he's been putting out bangers, like, all year. Yeah, like like somebody mentioned earlier, he's a top candidate for Wrestler of the Year. Yeah, uh, he's in my top four in New Japan, at least. Yeah. It's got to be, for me right now, it's got to be Shingo. It's got to be Hiromu, it's got to be Ishii, and it's got to be Suzuki. Yeah, those are, those are the four I would say, too, just strictly New Japan. And that's just off the top of my head. I mean, maybe I'm overlooking someone or forgetting something, but that's it. Those are your top four guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird year. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But here's another thing. This whole... This is a problem in New Japan. Sometimes things... Like, okay, because New Japan has nuance. Because New Japan is not always rife with... um, overt storylines that are in your face. And sometimes they drop breadcrumbs and little hints that can often lead to people taking a small thing and running with it wild as if it is a proven storyline or something. For instance, earlier in the show, Jeremy talked about the whole thing with um, Carl Fredericks. He's been losing and now he's trying to overcompensate by being extra cocky. That was an apt analysis, but there are someone there are like New Japan fans who would take that and they would run wild with that storyline when it's not the narrative that the company is trying to tell. Like, you know, it was just a, a promo he shared. And it's just a circumstance. And I think that that is exactly what has happened here with this whole Suzuki is not the leader of Suzuki Goon. When the fuck did <laughs> Minoru Suzuki stop being the leader of Suzuki Goon? Why? Because they came out to the Suzuki Goon theme a couple times because Zack Sabre Jr. or um, Tai Chi were able to come out to their own theme separately from the rest of the crew. Like, come on, bro. Go back, listen to the actual promos post match that Minoru Suzuki cuts, and tell me that that dude's not the fucking leader of Suzuki Goon because he absolutely is. There has never been any. Real indication that either Tai Chi or Zack Sabre Jr. or anyone else on the earth are the leader of Suzuki Yoon other than Minoru Suzuki. It just doesn't happen. It's one of those fantastical fan fiction things that people just like – they think they see a little hint and they're trying to be ahead of the curve. And then it kind of becomes this like talking point like as if it's a proven fact. It is not a proven fact. And we would know. We're the ace of podcasts. (laughs) Yeah, there's been nothing that – Obviously, they've definitely elevated Tai Chi and Saber, and they've they've had their spots, and they're definitely the top guys under Suzuki. They're his top two lieutenants, certainly. But the fact you know, everybody, I think it's wishful thinking. People want to see a Saber goon. They want to see a Tai Chi goon. They um, want it so badly, <laughs> so badly. Um, but it's not the case right now. And who knows? Is it impossible? No. Maybe whenever Suzuki decides. He's done, or New Japan decides they're done with Suzuki. Maybe they do some kind of angle where one of those guys takes over. Dude, I remember two years ago, we were on a uh, an outside podcast doing a guest spot. <laughs> and um, the host of that show at the time, which does not any longer exist, but the host of that show was like, I really think that they're going with this uh, uh, Saber Goon storyline because – uh, blah 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 blah, and we we're like, that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> and we like literally shut it down. We we're like on a on, on another person's show, and he's like, no, it's definitely happening. And we're like, bro, that's not happening. Like when storylines, like the funny thing is, like yes, there will always be hints, and maybe it's great to like speculate. But New Japan is pretty overt when they're ready to go with the storyline. They drive it home. And they do it through an angle. They do it through a speech. They do it through something. They don't leave it lingering, you know? For instance, the Mullen Chaos. That was nothing. <laughs> you know? It, that never amounted to anything. You know, if it was something, it would have happened. But it just never did. But, like, when they, you know, Cody turning on Kenny. That was a real thing. 
that happened. Now, when Minoru Suzuki cuts a promo in the middle of the ring and hands over leadership to one of those guys, or when uh, one of those guys turns on him and the entire group kicks him out of the group, then we'll know that he's not the leader. Until that time, Suzuki's for sure 100% the leader of Suzuki-gun, and he will murder anybody else that tries to <laughs> usurp his authority. Right. Uh, so moving on to his last question here, he says, "Fun fact: Bushi pinned Young Boy Hiromu Takahashi on one of the dark matches at Wrestle Kingdom Seven back in 2013. I know a lot of us, including myself, weren't watching at the time, but did Hiromu show any flashes of ability or charisma that would emerge in the, the ticking time bomb? For context, I did watch some of his stuff as Kamatachi. He was in the PWG Battle of Los Angeles tournament, weirdly enough, but I haven't watched any of his matches in CMLL with Dragon Lee. A fact I know I have to fix." Yeah, I mean, his run as Kamaitachi was, like, transcendent. Like, <sighs> it's not hyperbole to say, like, one of the all-time greatest uh, excursions. <laughs> like, when I think of great excursions that have occurred through the years, like, and those are rare, you know, because that's not the point of an excursion. But they happen from time to time, and you look at guys like Kijimuto with his run as, you know, Great Muda, and you think of like, um, I don't know, Sayama, Sammy Lee, and you think about like uh, Liger, you know, with his stuff as, uh, I've, as under his name, as Yamata, Kichi Yamada. Those types of things, there are some guys who've gone off and just had incredible excursions. And in modern times, I can't think of anybody anywhere from new Japan that has ever had a better and maybe in the last 15 or 20 years has had a better excursion than, um, Hiromu Takahashi as Kamatachi. I mean, he was literally an integral part of CML CMLL's like roster. I mean, the feud he had with dragon Lee, and this is not hyperbole. It revolutionized wrestling. It simply did. And it's, those effects are still being, uh, felt, even to this day and they reverberate. And so, yeah, there was definitely flashes as a young lion of what he would come to be. I don't think anyone knew, you know, how great he would be. But once he was Kamaitachi, I think that's when people really knew like, like when's the last time you heard of a guy on excursion having multiple matches in match of the year polls, Across the world, because right. that's what he was doing, and being futurely reported on. You know, we, you know, Umino's been gone, Narita's been gone. All these guys have been an excursion. You really don't hear the bigger sites talking about them. But nope. Kamatachi, you know, you tr every wrestling observer radio, like Dave's, like losing his mind about some something that Kamatachi's done. But those Kamatachi Dragon Lee matches are literally like they're like Dynamite Kid Tiger Mask level. They just are. Go watch those matches. If you haven't seen them, go fucking watch them. Uh, there's one from uh, – the one from Fantastic Mania that is in Japan is just fantastic. And, I mean, they had two out of three falls matches. They had lightning matches for single falls. They had mask versus mask matches, mask versus hair matches, title matches. They did it all. Like they, they had a very long, prolonged feud that went everywhere, you know? CMLL, RevPro, Ring of Honor, New Japan. They literally fought on like four continents or three or four continents. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, next question here from the Maple Leaf Wrestling History Podcast. 
says, always wondered this about you guys. What is the both? What is both your criteria for star ratings? Do you guys actually have a uh, set system to gauge matches, or do you just play by feel? As a follow up, can there be a perfect five star match in the COVID era? Huh, that's a great question. Um, I wouldn't say that I have a perfect system, but I mean, some of the things I take into consideration, the story leading into the match, the, like the build, um, the atmosphere of the match, you know, what are the stakes? Is there a title involved? Is there a stipulation involved? A gimmick, um, the crowd itself, how is the crowd reacting to it? The actual work itself. So, you know, you're talking about psychology, you're talking about work rate, you're talking about, you know, high spots, um, everything of that nature, just the actual work of the, the story and the work of the match, the finish of the match. Um, all of these things kind of encapsulate a great match. But, like, I don't have a perfect um, system where I'm like, all right, well, they did uh, eight in this category, nine in this category, but four in this category, so I'm going to give them a seven. Like, it doesn't work that way for me. It is kind of a gut thing, but I'm taking all those kinds of considerations into effect when I'm thinking about what I think is a, you know, when I'm trying to rate a match. Plus, I am weighing it against history and what I think it kind of deserves to get based on the wealth of information that we have from all the other matches. You know, just my opinion. Yeah, mine, yeah, pretty similar. I, yeah, I don't have any set system or formula. Obviously, I, there's different styles I like, but also it's, you know, you mentioned the story of the match, what do they do in the match, the build, the crowd reaction, the atmosphere, the stipulation, what's, what are they fighting for? Uh, there's so many, all that stuff can go into, you know, the, the length of the match, uh, you know, the, the spots. Like, there's so much that goes into it. Um, it's just, after the after watching how I feel, like you mentioned, yeah, I definitely look back. You know, if I gave a match, you know, four and a quarter, and I'm like, hmm, is this match better than this match that I rated four and a quarter? Is it worse? Like, I, I try to use my previous ratings on previous matches to also kind of help me gauge on what I'm going to rate a match I just watch. Yeah, absolutely. So, what do you think about his question about could there be a, a five star match in the COVID era? Um, yeah, I mean, hypothetically, could there be? Yes, there could be. Has there been? I would say no. And, you know, one of the things for me is, um, I think crowd reaction is a huge factor. It just, it, it really is. Um, and I don't think that – I think that that does detract from matches. And so maybe that is a reason for me to say no. Um, funny thing, I don't think this match is five stars. In fact, I don't even think this match personally should be rated in line with traditional matches because I don't think it even really is a, a traditional match. But in the quote-unquote empty arena slash COVID era, era – According to Cage Match, the highest rated match since this whole thing has started is the Stadium Stampede. It's got 9.19, 280 votes. Uh, it doesn't have a rating from Dave Meltzer, but it is the closest thing probably to a five-star match that we've had since the pandemic started. 
Yeah, and I know it's not a quote unquote traditional wrestling match, but I too, I I threw five stars on it. Like I, that's just how much I. You're a mark. That's how oh much I, I enjoyed that thing. <laughs> um, I mean, I, for me, a lot of people disagree with me here, but um, in New Japan, I still think that the best match that I've seen since COVID started. And I don't think people felt this way at the time, but I feel I feel like if you really went back and you really rewatched it and you put it up against all the other quote unquote great matches that we've had, the best match we've had since New Japan returned during the COVID era is Nagata versus Suzuki one. It's definitely on top list. No, nah, bro, it's the it's the top of the list. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think the the thing I like about it is that it didn't rely on a crowd. So it kind of negated the crowd and it it made up for the lack of crowd response with just shock and awe uh, with the violence and the visceral amount of violence. And then also the simple story that was easy to tell so you could be invested into it. And um, I like the structure and the style of this match better than, say, Takahashi and Ishii. I think it's a better match. Yeah, there's different, different some debate out there. I know a lot of people think that's one of the better, the best COVID matches, and other people like other stuff. I mean, I, I like that match a lot, but there's some stuff that happened after that that I really dug that New Japan's done. I know you like Shingo and Ishii. Yeah. Um, or not Shingo yeah, Ishii. I'm sorry. Uh, Shingo and Cho. Yeah. And different stuff like that. So yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know if there can be a perfect five star match with no crowd. That seems difficult, and I I haven't really seen it personally. Yeah. So uh, last question here is uh, from a new friend of mine named Jen. Uh, she's not really a wrestling fan, but she knows that I went to All Out this weekend um, and has been asking me about the live experience. And on the way there, I was telling her, you know, it could potentially be one of you know the best shows of the year. Afterward, I was talking to her, <laughs> and she's like, "So did it end up being, you know, one of the best shows of the year?" And I was like, "I was like, no, it didn't quite live up to that." And so she was, she wanted to know, in our opinions, what would have, what could have all outdone to be dubbed the best show of the year? Jeremy, who's Jen? She, she's a friend of mine. Who's Jen? Who's Jen? <laughs> <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. I want to know. <laughs> Oh man, um, bro, I don't know. That show is cursed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll tell you a few things that could have been done differently. The crowd needed to be mic'd. We couldn't hear the live crowd for shit. I mean, like at all. The other thing that they needed to do. The crowd, quote unquote, that they had a—I don't know if you've noticed this—but on a Wednesday night Dynamite show, the actual quote unquote crowd is filled with actual top talent, guys that are like part of the company that are that would be working, say, a pay-per-view. On this night, most of those pay-per-view workers weren't in the crowd, so you had like a lot of like dark talent, a lot of jobbers, that sort of thing. Bro, they were—they didn't react to the things they needed to react to their whole job. They're getting a paycheck to sit ringside and to be a fan and to get the the show over. They did a terrible job of it. I mean, seriously, like for real terrible job of it. Um, 
few other things. Um, I know not all of the freak accidents that happened are their fault, but like, dude, they didn't need to powerbomb Sammy or I'm sorry, uh, powerbomb, uh, Darby. Darby Allen in, in a, uh, fucking body bag full of what's tags. it called? A body bag. Yeah, they need to do that. Then you put him in a body bag with, with, uh, thumbtacks and, and drop him like that in, Bro, in a battle royal where no one's even going to notice or see it. Like, that was terrible booking. They needed to prep uh, the Matt Hardy stunt better to help avoid what happened. I think that they were negligent in the way that they prepped and did that stunt. I think that they were negligent in letting the match continue, no matter what the doctor said. And I'm telling you, compared to what the NHL and the NFL does for uh, concussion protocol, they didn't do the right thing there. And even if hypothetically he didn't quote unquote have a, a concussion, uh, I saw that man fall two or three times and hit his head on concrete. So there's definitely something fucking wrong. Even if he doesn't have a, con a concussion, stop the match. What you don't do, no matter what you do, you don't let him climb up on a scaffold. Right. <laughs> that was terrible. That was terrible. Um, you know, maybe better agenting because that FTR match, I don't care what kind of rating it has on cage match or grapple, bro, that match sucked. Like, and I mean actually actively sucked. They might have done some cool – in. that's actually something um, I want to bring up. Like, for instance, um, we talked about how great Jay White was at audibling without there being a crowd. Well, on that night, they thought they were going to have a crowd, but they didn't. And so instead of FTR kind of audibling and maybe like working the match differently, they were dead set on have we're going to do our match <laughs> <laughs> no matter how anyone reacts to it, no matter what any like they're like, we're going to prove to the world. And it's like uh, this actually shows to me that maybe you guys aren't as good of work as everyone's been plan like uh, claiming for the past you know five or six years because great workers – know how to change things on the fly and they didn't change on the fly when they weren't getting any kind of reaction. The only reaction they got was the, this is awesome chant before the match started. And then it never came back once the match actually started. I wonder why, cause it wasn't awesome. <laughs> uh, the fact that it has near four star rating on grapple and cage match is shameful. Literally 35 minutes. I'm never going to get back. That sucked. Um, those are the things I can think of off the top of my head that yeah. they that they could have actually taken active steps to change. Those are judgment calls that need to be done differently. Maybe the go home show before the pay per view could have had some better adjustments too. Yeah, and so obviously I was I was there live in the building, so obviously I didn't notice the the whole miking issue of the crowd. I mean, because we would be, we would be messing with you guys, and you're like, we can't hear you guys at all. There were definitely some um, some chants that didn't get over across on TV. But from being in the building, I, I think um, starting off with a cinematic match, I don't think I would have put... Oh, that was bad, too. Like I, I thought it was funny, and we enjoyed it there. It was kind of funny. But I don't. I think they had, Tony Khan had the right call in the beginning, leaving it. It should have been on the, the buy-in, and it should have happened there. And the first match should have just straight up been the Bucks against Jurassic Express. Agreed. Uh, um, I agree with you. Everything on the whole Matt Hardy situation, um, like the match should have been stopped um, immediately. Once the match was stopped, they shouldn't have restarted it. And 
it's just one of those things where, like, if, you know, they just had some bad luck that night. If that if Matt did not get hurt, that match probably would have ended up being a pretty good match and could have helped helped the show out there. Um, the the Bucks, uh, I mean, excuse me, the Omega Hangman versus FTR, I think, went way too long. They they that that they should have cut that match down. I guess maybe they were trying to make up some time for losing the Hardy Sammy match, but they they could have cut that match down. Um, and the Hardy match definitely did hurt the, the 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 flow of the show. I felt like Thunder Rosa and Cheetah they killed it. They worked really really hard, had a really good match, but people were so kind of you know worried and confused and everything was going on with the, what that happened with the Broken Rules match that that took a lot of kind of um, just kind of energy out of the building for that match. Plus, it was super hot, <laughs> you know, very hot and humid. We were sweating our butts off out there, and so that definitely helped, you know, kill the energy of the crowd. And um, Well, I don't want to sound inhumane when I say this, but it's like, okay, but what are the workers who are getting paid to be fans at ringside supposed to be doing in that situation? If they, you know, first off, I think that they should have probably, A, like I said, stop the Matt Hardy match. Just stop it. Just to just stop it to be safe. Then they probably should have sent some sort of memo or word of re-encouragement to the workers who are at ringside. Like, hey, Matt's okay. We're checking up on him. Give them some sort of support. Give them some reassurance so that they can continue to fulfill their role. And then um, someone need to be monitoring how they're reacting. Because like, if I was Tony Khan, I, wouldn't, I don't even know if I want to really pay those people. Because, bro, they didn't do their job. You know, like if you're going to sit silent for several matches during the pay-per-view and you're getting paid to be there as, as a crowd and as an on-air talent to, to be a crowd, what am I paying you for if you're just not going to say shit? Like that's – I understand that they might have been shaken by the Matt Hardy thing and that's understandable. But the company should have handled that much differently and much better and that – if 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 the crowd is that shaken, maybe I don't know. Maybe they need to take a small break, but they didn't. You know, the 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 show goes on, and you're a professional. You're supposed to do your job. They didn't do their job. They didn't get any of those matches over. They were like dead ass silent. It was weird. Yeah. Also, you know, double or nothing. They did a much better job. I think that was one of the best like crowd, like the wrestler crowds they had for double or nothing. But that was the first time I think they had a crowd in a while, right? Right. Well, I think. They had been doing it for Dynamites leading up to that. Okay. Yeah. One other thing, they could have had you guys closer to the ring. Right. You know, have. I mean, um, it's an open-air arena, and, I mean, even in that center section, you're not even – I mean, I'm not a doctor, but you're not that close to the ring where you'd be able to, like, potentially spread droplets to the wrestlers if you were infected. They could have maximized that space and kept you guys closer, maybe at least for sound. But they got, they had you guys pretty far back. Yeah, they did. So, and I get it. It's safety and it's cool. You know, that's great. But I mean, let's do it within reason. I mean, there's no reason that in an open air arena they couldn't have you guys closer for the sound effect. I don't know. Or like you said earlier, just get better, better miking. <laughs> they didn't mic you guys at all. We couldn't hear you. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh man! But, but yeah. Overall, though, it w- it was a fun experience, and it was fun just to be at a live wrestling show again. So definitely enjoyed myself at all out. I'll tell you one other thing they could have done to be dubbed the best show of the year: be New Japan, have it on January fourth, and put it in the Tokyo Dome. 
Unless you can do that, you're probably not going to have the show of the year. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. So uh, now we're going to end off real quick with the recommended match of the week. So last week you recommended to us to watch Wild Pegasus and Shinjiro Otani versus Great Sasuke and Black Tiger. This match was freaking awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tiger and Sasuke, they were doing a lot of uh, cool double team maneuvers throughout the match. Um, ended up getting the heat on Otani. Otani does a great job selling all throughout this match. Uh, again, we talked about this during the final countdown. Otani's, you know, his springboard, where he, like, he literally just like straight up like bounces off the rope and it's like a springboard plancha. Yes. Dope. Um, Otani and Sasuke, they had some uh, great back and forth pin sequences throughout the match. Um, Pegasus and Sasuke had some great chop sequences. Um, Sasuke did a wild dive from the top to Pegasus on the outside, and um, both partners are trying to you know get their uh, partners back into the match after that. Um, there was a great near fall when uh, Pegasus has a super backdrop, but Sasuke reverses it midair into a crossbody into a pin. Um, that was really close. Um, uh, Black Tiger got some great near falls on Pegasus, and then for the finish, they tried to do a... Looks like they were trying to do a Doomsday Hurricane Rana, on Black Tiger, but didn't quite land like that. And then uh, Tony ends up hitting a, a Tiger suplex on him for the win. Yeah, man. Uh, what would you go with the ratings on this one? Uh, probably go like four and a half. Yeah, that's about where I'm at. So that's pretty good. I'm glad you liked this one. Yeah, it was awesome. So uh, my recommended match of the week Comes from Casino Road, July 20th, 2013. The Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada versus Prince Devitt. Why? Well, it's just one of those things. I was, you know, I know it was my turn to pick recommended match of the week. And so I was just like looking, looking through cage match, trying to look through some matches I haven't seen. Um, something that would just be good to recommend. And I just stumbled across this one. So Just... I don't know if you noticed this. Like, you be recommending a lot of Prince Devitt shit to me. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, man, you really like Fergal. I don't know. I do. I, you know, so. Nice, man. Well, I'll definitely And plus, check he, that he, out. he might be the uh, the NXT champion come uh, tomorrow night. <sighs> I don't care. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it. Uh, anything else? Nope, that's it. That's going to wrap up the show for this week. So next week we'll be back to have our uh, G1 preview. We'll have all the participants and blocks. We'll have Chris Sampson from SportProWrestling.com on here with us to uh, preview and break down G1 Climax 30. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit SocialSuplex.com slash donate. The donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, we are at KI Strong Style. Also, follow us at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. Follow us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. Also, follow us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. You can also find us on Reddit. I am the Pro Black Guy. Josh is keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at Social Suplex.com. Make sure you check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have Bunchy Radio, hosted by Rick Sada and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. On Thursdays, we have the new Grave Consequences Podcast with Caleb and Maserati. 
On Fridays, we have 8-Bit Suplex with Josh number 2 and Sandy. And Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we'll catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Side, the ace of podcasts. Ain't no dangerous techers, goon. It's Suzuki goon. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.